Yeah, because I had fairly fond memories of it, and I watched it, and I was like, wow, this is this is a little tough to digest. Yeah, and I don't doubt that, like, because just hearing you guys talk about it, I'm like, yeah, that all sounds right. I don't, <laughs> just didn't remember it that way. Did your poem have a line in it, something like, he snuck up behind her, a poisonous <laughs> snake came out of her vagina? <laughs> I'm sure it did. That was good rhyming, was Rich. Just about... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think there was just a lot of... Here all night. ...to talk about blood. You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where Single Banana and I, Ghost 81 discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on rfgeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter. This month, we're joined by returning guest Crabmaster2000 of the Collector Cast to discuss the bizarre murder mystery adventures Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc and Danganronpa 2 Goodbye Despair. These games may be colorful and cheery on the outside, but there is major darkness lurking within. Is it worth enrollment at Hope's Peak Academy? Stay tuned to find out. You can listen to the show on iTunes and Podbean. On Twitter, I'm at RFG Playcast, and Rich is at The Single Banana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. As I look up at the sky my mind starts tripping, a tear drops my eye. My body temperature falls. I'm shaking, and they breaking, trying to save the dough. Pumping on my chest, and I'm screaming. I stop breathing. Damn, I see demons. Dear God, I wonder, can you save me? I can't die, my boo-boo's about to have my baby. I think it's too late for praying. Hold up, her voice spoke to me, and it slowly started saying. Bring your lifestyle to me, you'll make it better. And how long will I live? Eternal life, better. Or will I be the G that I was? I make your life better than you can imagine or even dream of So relax yourself, let me take control Close your eyes, my soul My eyes are closed My coma. I got my mama and my daddy and my homies in my coma. It's gonna take a miracle, like safe for me to walk again and talk again. But anyway, I get funny some keys to get back on my feet. And everything that he said came to reality. Living like a ball of low, I'm having money and blowing hella smoke. I bought my mama a fence, my boo boo a jag, and now I'm rolling in the nitrous AL dough. Right. Just remember who changed your mind, cause when you start set tripping, that ass is mine. Indeed, a great proceed to smoke. 
Never have a want, never have a need. They say I'm greedy, but I still want more. Cause my eyes want a journey some more. Really though, check it out. What do you guys want to BS about? We could talk about, I've got this golf trophy sitting in front of me that I haven't gotten <laughs> crappy yet. Still. <laughs> it's right here, man. It's, uh, it's quite beautiful, but uh, I haven't finished it yet, man. I'm looking for the uh, perfect wedge for it. I'll just leave it at that. Interesting. This is probably going to be the shittiest looking trophy that's going to cost me $40 <laughs> to send to Canada. <laughs> yeah, shipping's getting so stupid. Uh, it's awful. For whatever reason, they decided that they're going to uh, charge international shipping the same rate anywhere you send it. Yet, if you send something closer in the U.S., it's cheaper than sending it to California. So it makes no sense. When I try to sell things on like eBay, too, they have like the auto um, listing price that they won't let me charge any more or less for for shipping. It is never accurate. And sometimes like $20 or more off. Like It's just ridiculous, and it won't let me change that number. So is it different from the global shipping program that we have here? I think it's a lot Does different. Does that from, sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because here we have the global shipping program, and we just ship whatever it is. We ship to a warehouse in Kentucky, and they handle everything. So you never get gypped on the shipping charge because you're paying whatever, whatever it costs to ship it to Kentucky. The buyer pays out the wazoo for the actual shipping, <laughs> and eBay takes care of everything. <laughs> and once it gets to Kentucky... Like, it's done. Like, if it gets lost after that, it's not your problem. They can't give you bad feedback. They can't take your money back. It's it's pretty sweet, actually. I'm sorry that you don't have something like that. Maybe we do, and I'm unaware, but I, yeah, I've never heard of that. I have to look into that now, because that would save a big headache. Yeah. Is it scary to anyone else that eBay's depending on the state of Kentucky to not lose things? <laughs> 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 I kid. I apologize to all three of our listeners in Kentucky <laughs> for that joke. My brother lived up in Louisville for a while. He actually loved it up there. So, yeah, it's a cool place. I've been to about a dozen states. I have not been to Kentucky. <laughs> well, for those of us who don't know, our guest on this evening's program is none other than the king <laughs> himself, Crabmaster2000. <laughs> I prefer to go by my Rampa name, which is the ultimate podcast guest. Oh, I like that. That's good. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> so, Krabby, uh, I think last time you were on the show, we talked about you selling your store and um, how are things going now. Good. Much less stress. Yeah. So, um, with uh, the all the free time that you have now, you're getting to spend time with your family, and you've also taken on a new endeavor, right? You're uh, doing some writing. Yeah, I just started writing reviews for a website called VG Charts with a Z because it's cool on the end. Um, so that's new to me for the last month, and it's been a really cool experience. I'm quite enjoying it. Yeah, I think you've put out two articles now. I've read both of them. They're really well done, man. The third one just came out two days ago. Okay, okay, the third one did. All right, good. I'll have to check that out. I'd like to pat myself on the back for uh, <laughs> being uh, this gentleman's editor. So 
when you become rich and famous, don't forget about all the little people in the uh, video gaming industry here. I do actually really think that the Playcast has helped in the last uh, seven or eight months specifically, just getting thoughts out there and kind of thinking more critically about games. So thank both of you. Oh, cool, man. Glad to hear that. So now we know, Rich, why he has, like, typing diarrhea in our forum threads for our games. <laughs> he was practicing. He was cutting his teeth on his, his writing skills on our forum threads. So that explains everything. Yeah, I think what we can take from what he just said is that we're entitled to some royalties. That's what I heard. I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. The check's in the mail, but since it's Canadian, <laughs> don't get too excited. <laughs> <laughs> I might can purchase a uh, used copy of Combat for the 2600 with that check. <laughs> but you won't be able to afford the shipping. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. That's really cool. I'm really happy for you. Thank you. It's really cool to uh, see like when you started on our site and kind of develop as a writer and everything. It's been a really neat journey to watch that and wish you the best of luck, man. And uh, love reading those articles. Now, are you doing more... Um, are these games games that are um, already out there? Are you doing review copies? Uh, one of them that I've done, um, I got an advanced copy before it was out for anybody and mm-hmm. then got to put my uh, review out the day it came out. The other two were ports to the Switch that had already been released previously on Steam. So they were already out in the world, just not on the platform I was reviewing them for. Very cool, man. All right. Well, I thought, you know, while we're talking about shout-outs, we might as well give one to our buddy Steven, Disposed Hero, right, Sean? Yeah, are you talking about the uh, Cartridge Club episode that he was on? Oh, man, that was so good. Yeah, so shout-out to Steven. He was on the Cartridge Club for Chrono Trigger, which is his favorite game of all time. Uh, he was on with Musty Hobbit and Rocket Sauce, but also the other member of the panel was SNES Drunk, who I'm a huge yeah. fan of. So when I heard the panel get announced, it was like, oh, Steven's on this? Wow, cool. SNES Drunk is on this? Oh my God, I'm so jealous. But listening to the show, they did a great job. It was you know, one of their best episodes, and it was awesome to hear Steven. He sounded so good. Another person that we trained very well to go out into the world <laughs> and just a super talented individual. So yeah, uh, that Cartridge Club episode, definitely worth checking out. All of them are, but th- that yeah. one, especially for our buddy Steven being on there. Yeah, I'm not sure what episode number it is, but if you just go to uh, podbean.com where you can find our show as well, just search for Cartridge Club and you can pull it up there. Those guys are awesome. I'm going to do that because I was chatting a little bit with Steven on Twitter while he was playing and, and following it, and, and it was really awesome. So, yeah, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, it's funny. Um, You know, when we have former members of our show, and Krabby, you know this too, with Collector Cast, everybody's wondering, oh, did, did you guys have some big fallout or something like that? Nah, we're, we're all friends. We all still talk a lot. It's just sometimes life gets busy, you know, and you just got to kind of uh, take that with a grain of salt. Steven did an amazing... Uh, song too we did a video on rf gen for the nes challenge we're doing put together all the music and he's just got this wicked metal remix of all these classic nes songs and it's the first one he did was like 20 minutes long and then he did a second one that's like another 10 minutes long like fantastic oh man that's really cool so speaking of that man how far are you guys into that now how many games have you beaten how many do you have left we're closing in on the 500 mark i think we're around 475 476 something like that yeah it's going to be tight if we can do it this year, but um, it's possible. 
we just need a, a couple of members to really tackle some of those uh, tough games and long games. Or you need some members to get back on their horse after beating 35 games like the yeah, first one. Yeah, we need another 30-game month from Rich here. He's just holding out till December to do it. All. Nah, man, it's just been crazy. I wish I could. I, I really enjoyed that. It's a lot of fun. No, I, I get it. I'm going to have to check the list and just see what's left at this point. So. Yeah, it's getting slim pickings. It's getting to the weird stuff that people aren't as comfortable with. So yeah. it's it's was we knew it was going to slow down, but um, yeah, I think we can still do it. Yeah, I had made a good progress through Myland Secret Castle. I don't know if that's still available or not. I think it was. We've been pretty good about when someone comments that they're working on something that no one else touches it. We just leave it for them until we hear otherwise. I was working on that. I don't know if anybody knows this or not, but um, there's no continues in that game. However, you can continue your game if you press, I think it's like start and A at the same time or, or something like that. There, there's some special way you can do it. And then you can restart from the first of the level that you were on. At least four or five times, man, I forgot to do that and had to start all the way at the beginning again. And that just makes you even more frustrated. It's like, why can this game just not have an option to continue? Why did they put this continue thing in the game and not have an option to continue? Because they even mention it in the manual. And that's why you you know we're able to use it for that challenge, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. It's frustrating. There's some weird design choices back then, for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, since we've got our King of the Apples on right now, should we go ahead and move into mistakes our old friends pointed out this month, Sean? Yeah, I don't I don't remember what they were, though. Do you have them in front of you? I've got a few. Um, okay. I'll go ahead and mention two. One mistake, one clarification, let's put it that way. And, and, you know, Kelsey, he may have some. He's probably just saving them. He probably has a whole <laughs> Santa's list in front of him I right now. I got nothing this time. Your last episode was flawless. Oh, well, no, I wouldn't call it flawless, but uh, <laughs> I did miss Bickman's shoe size. He was very impressed that I called him, uh, I forget what it was. That's uh, like a specimen of a man. Uh, or something. A specimen of a man, yeah. His shoe size, I had said on the show, was size 16. I was incorrect. It's a 17. So, Oh, man. Yeah. For all the ladies out there. <laughs> oh, my god. <laughs> He's goodness. got big shoe strings. And then the other thing was, Sean and I had been wanting to know how to pronounce Mr. S-T-U-B-B-S. So it's actually S-T-U-B-B-E-S. That's where the confusion was coming from on my part, because I didn't. we didn't know if it was Stubes mm. or Stubbs. And I kept saying Stubes. You were saying Stubbs. And the guy's new to the site, but he's playing all of our games. I actually DM'd him, and I was like, oh, we want to get this right. And in the meantime, he actually had posted it on the forum. But he did DM yeah. me back. Very nice gentleman. And uh, he told me it's Stubbs, like a ticket stub. So the E is silent. Yeah, <laughs> there silent. you go. It gets you every time, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So uh, want to move into concert cast? Should we let our guest go first for concert cast? I know he's been to one fairly recently. Uh, yeah, I guess I haven't talked about it on here. But I went to the same tour you went to. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Uriah Heap opening for Judas Priest which are two of my favorite bands of all time. I have a Judas Priest, I have two Judas Priest tattoos on me. Uh, my <laughs> son's name is Uriah. It's a big deal. So I actually got to see them twice, one in my town that I live in. And then we went to visit my brother down south a few days after. So I got to catch the show a second time with my brother, which was fantastic. Jeez, man. Now, were these indoor or outdoor shows? Both indoor. Okay. Whew. Man, that was a loud show down in Austin. 
yeah. For people that remember, that's when I went to visit with Sean and um, it was just so up close and my wife couldn't hear for a week. Uh, but <laughs> I had no idea that you had named your son after Uriah Heap. I, I knew what he went by. You know, he doesn't go by Uriah. You guys call him Yuri, but... Um, yeah, when he's in trouble. Oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's really cool, man. I, I'd never put that together, you know, since I've known you. So Most, most people don't. They're not a... a household name yeah good stuff though man yeah my brother i've never gone to a concert with him and every pick every guitarist through from every band he caught and i don't know how and he knows i'm a huge fan of both so he was just showering me with picks the whole time so i've got all these little souvenir picks which is pretty awesome that's cool man have you been in anything else no there's been nothing else uh i don't even have tickets to anything on the horizon that was it for me probably for the year it seems like all right cool Anything on the bucket list? Anything that you would really, really like to see? Yeah, but there, there's actually two right now I'm really annoyed I can't make it to because there's uh, two bands that I love, uh, Iced Earth and Blind Guardian. Yep, yep. And they have a side project band called Demons and Wizards where the guitarist from uh, Iced Earth and the singer from Blind Guardian both have this band together. Mm-hmm. And they, it's very like it's been like a decade since they've done anything together, and and they just did a new uh, album, new tour, but it's very very limited, and it's only on Eastern Canada, so it's nowhere close to me. So I can't make it. it. Sucks. It's happening right now, and I'm missing it. Well, expect some tour dates in your area soon, due to the playcast effect. <laughs> um, it will happen. Just wave my magic wand. Thank you, sir. Yeah. How about you, Sean? Any news? I got a lot of stuff here. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so first of all, I went to one show and I, I can report back and I'll say it as few times as possible so you don't have to censor it. But uh, I saw a mannequin <laughs> and uh, <laughs> thanks for drawing that one out. But yeah, and man, were they good. So good. This was one of the best shows I've been to in a long time and not just for them. They are headlining this tour. This was the first time I saw them where they weren't opening up for other bands. And it really showed like their set was just incredible. Uh, Like I said, their new album is called Patience. It's just phenomenal. Rich, I know you listened to it because I didn't even have to send you any tracks from it when you put it into the show. So, um, yeah. It's so good. And it's their albums are like short enough that sometimes you can just listen to them in a loop like a couple times in a row because they're that good. But one of the real cool surprises was they took bands on tour with them. And the first band that played was this band called T Rextasy, and they're from New York. And when they came out, the guitar player was this. Nice young lady with a mohawk and a like ripped up camouflage homemade shirt and like cut off jeans and boots. And I was like, all right, cool. Like this is going to be the second coming of L7 or Bikini Kill or some kind of like throw down girl punk. Like, you know what I mean? I was I was really ready for it. Singer comes out. She's wearing a nightgown and has like her makeup done, not in a like like a clown, but her. I can't explain it. Like her eyeliner was almost like a burlesque, like clown thing. I, I it's hard to explain. Burlesque clowns. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> let me Google that. <laughs> by the sight of them, I thought, oh wow, this is going to be intense. 
when they started playing, it was like <laughs> it was like this awesome like surf music. They didn't even use distortion, and they just played this like jangly pop music that sounded like campfire songs or like children's songs. And when the singer sang, she sounded like Mary Poppins. It was the most amazing thing I've seen as far as like an opening band and not knowing what to expect. And the songs were just so well written. They were funny. They had great lyrics and told stories. And like I said, the singer really kind of made it special because she was singing with this like fake English accent. She was singing like some some of the lyrics came out like in an operatic way, like just so much personality and charisma going on. Like immediately, like when I got home, I bought both of their albums and I've been listening to them ever since. So T-Rexacy, that's going to be the probably the one uh, musical track I want to put into this episode of the podcast. I'll find a couple of their songs. That show all around was just one of the best shows I've been to in a very long time. I did score a really big name uh, ticket to a show. This is another one that's like <laughs> my bucket list keeps getting shorter and shorter as it gets longer and longer, if that makes sense. I'll see all these bands that I want to see and I think, wow, who else is even out there that I want to see? And I literally remember chit-chatting with my wife a couple of weeks ago. I had talked about on the show the Charlie XCX tickets I got. And I thought, wow, the only person left is Marina and the Diamonds. I would really like to see her live. And wouldn't you know it, Marina's on tour, and she's playing at that theater that you saw Judas Priest at, and uh, I was able to grab a ticket. She no longer goes by Marina and the Diamonds. It's just Marina. She has a new double album out. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I didn't even realize it was out, so I'm going to grab that and... I'm really excited to see her, and that's actually five days after Charlie XCX. So I'm ge- I'm getting to see two pop music icons uh, within less than a week of each other, and it's very very exciting. And lastly, for the concert cast, I want to drop a piece of trivia on you guys that I learned. I don't think either one of you is going to care about this, but I thought it was really cool in light of the fact that I once told my favorite piece of trivia, which is that the drums on Nirvana's In Utero were modeled after the drums on Aerosmith Rock's album, and then Weezer modeled the drums on Pinkerton after In Utero. So there's this like whole chain of drum sounds that were emulated from album to album. Well, I learned the other day, I was watching Chris Connolly, who's a singer from Saves the Day. He was doing a like a retrospective of their album Through Being Cool, which is coming up on its 20th anniversary. And he said in this video that to get the guitar sound in Through Being Cool, which is very distinctive and very amazing tonally, like they did such a good job on that guitar sound on that album, they modeled and they obsessed over getting it right, the guitar sound after the Foo Fighters, the color and the shape, which... They're both rock bands, but you're talking about the Foo Fighters, which are like an alternative radio-friendly rock band. Saves the Day was more like an emo pop-punk band. So it was like really cool because these are like two of my favorite albums ever. And Color and Shape is far and away my favorite Foo Fighters album by like a million times margin over any 
of their other albums. So like to hear that little piece of trivia, I thought it was really cool. And if any of our listeners are fans of those bands, I think that's a cool little tidbit. So that's it for me for the music segment of this episode. (laughs) All right. Well, if you saw my Twitter feed, I guess it was a few weeks ago, I posted some games and also two sleeves of tickets. You know, you couldn't see the tickets or anything like that. And I said, it's going to be an interesting concert cast coming up. I picked up tickets for two shows, one of which I actually went to last night. And uh, that show was B-52's OMD in Berlin. And let me tell you, fantastic show. You had mentioned that um, this was like the 20th anniversary of one of the albums of the band Saves the Day. This tour is actually the 40th anniversary of the B-52's first album. Wow. And, man, they sound as good as they did when they started. It was a fantastic show. Uh, we went last night, my wife and I, and I had tickets for my two oldest kids. Unfortunately, my daughter was sick on Friday and didn't go to school, and she was actually too sick to go to the concert, which says something about a child saying they're too sick to go to something they love as much as that. And um, she was pretty upset about it. And as bummed as she was about it, I think I was even more bummed because I I love hanging out with my daughter. She's really awesome and cool. And, you know, she loves 80s music, which I'll tell a story in a minute about that and, you know, her first days in middle school. But last night, the show, Berlin started it off. It was pretty good. We got there probably about mid-set. I got to hear Take My Breath Away, you know, not one of their favorite songs to play, but I think they were just wanting to get it over with. And uh, it was pretty good set. They actually ended with a cover of ACDC's Highway to Hell, which was pretty cool. I, I liked that a lot. They played the song Sex. It's kind of subtitled I'm a Man, which I know a lot of people have probably heard. You might not recognize it by the title, but if you popped it on, you would definitely know it. And then OMD played second. And I got to tell you, they almost outdid the B-52s. They were fantastic. I could hear some of the people in the crowd saying, oh, OMD, they've only got that one song, If You Leave, from the 80s that was on. It was one of the John Hughes movies. It might have been 16 Candles. Uh, but uh, they played a plethora of hits that, it's one of those bands where you're kind of like, oh, I didn't know they did that. Oh, I didn't know they did that. You know, if you're not very familiar with the music, of course I did, you know, and they totally rocked it out. They were fantastic. So, yeah, I would definitely say that this is a show that if you can still get to it, I think it ends at the end of this month. So no one will hear this by that time, probably by the time I get it recorded. They're uh, ending the show in uh, Central Park in New York, I think, in late September. So, yeah, if you can still make it out to that show, please do. It was fantastic. Um, B-52s was a show that I missed a few years ago, and I was really upset about it because I didn't know if they would tour again. So I was really, really happy to see this. And, of course, now I'm hoping they tour some more, which they sound like they will, as good as they sound, so that I can make it up to my daughter and take her to the show. Because, yeah, she's pretty bummed about it. But then the second set of tickets that you saw in the picture, my wife and I are big fans of this person. And uh, we got tickets to go see Elvis Costello. Never seen him before. So you guys familiar with Elvis Costello's music? Oh yeah, I'm a little jealous of this. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. I know what he looks like. I don't. I don't know any songs by him though. Definitely check out some of his earlier stuff. 
uh, my aim is true and last year's models probably my favorite album by him really really good stuff he's just one of those people that he's so classic but you you're always surprised at like how many people don't know a lot about him because he just doesn't get a lot of radio play but just fantastic array of songs and uh, I've already looked at some of the set lists and it's going to be awesome he's actually touring right now with Blondie which would have been awesome but by the time that he gets to us he's just going to be doing it solo you know not super disappointed but am a little disappointed because I heard Blondie's really been killing it but yeah man get to see Elvis Costello so that's another bucket list item I'm going to mark off and so not too many more left um the only one that really comes to mind is I really want to see Scorpions. I have not seen them yet. Oh, so. I would love that, too. Yeah. So that's that's top on my bucket list right now of shows to go to. But uh, I'd mentioned a second ago that I had some interesting concert cast news. So my daughter, first day of middle school, teachers wanted to know what they're into and stuff. And my daughter's like, I love 80s music. And so the teacher was really kind of surprised by it. And the second day, my daughter wore this Beastie Boys shirt to school and she's like, do you really listen to that type of music? My, my daughter's like, oh, yeah. And so this woman proceeds to tell my daughter, this teacher, that she is responsible for forming the band Guns N' Roses. So what? let me explain this. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Apparently, she went to school in Indiana and went to high school with Axl Rose. Well, wasn't his name in high school, of course. It's not his real name. She had 100 bucks in her locker. And he broke into her locker and stole the money and he got in trouble for it. And this is what got him kicked out of high school. Uh, and his parents sent him to another school and that's where he met Slash. So she claims that she's indirectly responsible for helping form the band Guns N' Roses. Wow, that's a really <laughs> cool awesome story. story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you are sure to get an A in that class, dear. Just keep it up. <laughs> so that's it for me for the concert, Cats fan. Awesome. Well, I snuck in a little bit of anime to keep the anime cast alive, and and I'll make it real quick. I, I saw a YouTube video by a YouTuber named Kenny Lauderdale, who's one of my favorite YouTubers when it comes to anime, because he just pulls out all kinds of weird crap from the 80s and 90s, and I think you would like him, Rich, because he, he pulls out stuff that is like impossible to find and not very well-known stuff. So he had a a video that caught my eye. It said the most relaxing anime ever. And I was like, Oh, okay. What does that mean? Uh, but it's about Yokohama Kaidashi Kiko, which is this anime about two androids who are just, they become friends with each other in a post-apocalyptic world where there's almost no humans, but it's never explained why there's no humans, why this, you know, the sea levels are so high that everybody lives on a mountain and, it's weird, right? But it's very, as the YouTube video suggested, very relaxing and pleasant. And our listeners know, and you know, I like things that are relaxing and pleasant. So uh, <laughs> I watched an episode today and I really liked it and I, I'm going to continue watching it. So that's my one anime I can sneak in to keep the segment alive. All right. Well, before we shut down the uh, anime cast, let me... Um put Kelsey on the spot right here. I had asked Kelsey to record a segment for me about Ninja Scroll because uh, Is that Kelsey true? has seen it before. Yeah, oh, okay. I did. And he was not able to do it. He couldn't fit it in. He had some stuff 
going on. Uh, so I'm going to give him a chance to say his piece about Ninja Scroll. And side note, from what I understand, Kelsey wrote a poem about Ninja Scroll in high school for a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get him to dig it up. You got to remember some of it, man. Do not remember any of it, unfortunately. <laughs> it is it, the only reason it is memorable to me that I did that is because it's the only time in any English class I ever got a perfect score on creative writing. This the poem was a like short poem about Ninja Scroll because that is I was really into Ninja Scroll and like Record of Lodos Wars and, and a few other animes at the time. But uh, yeah, I was really hoping to watch the movie and chat with you guys a little bit about it. But we had kind of a, a personal tragedy in our life and mm-hmm. things got kind of crappy for a month but we're all past that now good so i couldn't uh, help out but i i haven't seen it in a long long time but it was it still made a very big impression on me and after listening to you guys talk about it i'm not sure i want to rewatch it again i kind of <laughs> want to keep what's in my mind um yeah, yeah that might be, be a good idea I remember it yeah i think that is probably a good idea yeah because i had fairly fond memories of it and i watched it and i was like wow this is this is a little tough to digest. Yeah, and I don't doubt that. Like, because just hearing you guys talk about, it, I'm like, yeah, that all sounds right. I don't, <laughs> just didn't remember it that way. Did your poem have a line in it? Something like, "He snuck up behind her, a poisonous <laughs> snake came out of her vagina." <laughs> I'm sure it did. That was a good rhyming, Rich. Just about. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think there was just a lot of here all night to talk about blood. <laughs> I can only imagine being a teacher and getting something like that because I taught for a while. When I was a young teacher in college, I, I had students that would put like the words MILF in papers <laughs> <laughs> because they think you're young and they think it's funny or it's kind of cool yeah. that they can feel, which is nice because they're relaxed and they feel like they can, you know, put their thoughts on paper. It's a, it's a good environment for that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. I could imagine getting that um, as your teacher. I would have just high-fived you. It would have been so awesome. That teacher was pretty awesome for me because he had like assignments where he'd get us to bring in like our favorite song lyrics and we'd dissect them to uh, look for different poetic terms and stuff. Nice. But um, when we were doing uh, The Flight of Icarus, he pulled this kid into our classroom who was like the local rock star. Like He, he was the one with the band touring around. And he had him play Iron Maiden's Flight of Icarus while my teacher, who is not a singer, sang the lyrics from the poem like the best Bruce Dickinson impression he could. It was the funniest class I've ever been in. Oh, That's man. Awesome. Too bad YouTube wasn't around at that time. I know, right? <laughs> That's great, man. All right, Sean, what else you got? I did sneak in there something about uh, health and nutrition, if you want to go over that real quick, because we do kind of touch on that every once in a while, and it's kind of an ongoing thing with us. Is that cool? That's cool, man. So, like I said, last month I've been just kind of drifting hopelessly through bouts of overeating and out-of-controlness, and it's just not good. I gained a lot of weight back from what I lost earlier this year. And it was very frustrating. And uh, I just couldn't get a grip on myself and right the ship. So there's something out there called Whole30. Have either of you guys ever heard of that? No. Yep. Okay. So full disclosure, the company that I work for is partnered with Whole30. However, our listeners don't know the company I work for. And the company I work for does not endorse or my opinions are mine alone kind of thing. 
But Whole30 is just basically, it's like a paleo reset. The whole point of it is to go 30 days eating actual foods with no preservatives, no added sugar, no grains, no dairy. It just boils down to veggies, meat, nuts, seeds. The, Rich, it's probably a lot of the kind <laughs> of stuff that you're already eating, right? Yeah. So, you know, they're big months to do it. Our January for New Year's resolutions and stuff, it's very popular, of course, around that time. But they also do big promotions in September for it because I figure get you prepared for the holiday season, uh, get you in the right frame of mind kind of thing. And the whole point about it is to kind of be perfect for 30 days And this is where, in general, I start to kind of diverge, like philosophically from this program, because I do believe like perfection is the enemy of the good, right? So it can be like, I don't know, I ate this salami and I didn't realize it had dextrose in it. I screwed up my whole 30, you know, like I don't like that kind of stuff. I also don't like that part of the rules are that you can't like replicate something that's not a whole food with whole foods. For example, almond flour pancakes are not allowed. So chips are not allowed, even if the ingredients are all good. And thus pork rinds are not allowed, which is really hard for me because I eat pork rinds every day. So now I have to go 30 days without eating pork rinds. So that's kind of a challenge. But I think today's my fifth day. I started on Monday. So yeah. I've gone this long doing it and I feel pretty good and I know I know I can do it for the 30 days. I just am buckling down and I'm eating just vegetables and meat and I'm not worrying about these like, oh, can I eat this? Oh, can I eat that? Like if you go on their forums, it's just the weirdest like mental exercise of people like obsessing over this ingredient and that ingredient and oh, sending pictures of food labels and trying to find out what's in <laughs> compliance and what isn't. And that's That's another part of this that I'm not really on board with the obsession over what's okay and what's not okay. Yeah. But what I'm really like trying to just latch on to is just having that structure, you know, and just having that like, I'm going to achieve this for 30 days straight and that's the goal. So I'm just eating rich, uh, something, you know, a diet that's pretty familiar to you by now that's just like sauteed vegetables and steak. So that's what I'm doing. And, uh, I don't know. I I mean, we've been talking about health and nutrition for a while now. I'm still lifting. I'm still running. So I'm hoping that I can get myself back to, I don't weigh myself. So I don't want to say reasonable weight, but I just want to feel better and have my clothes fit better. That's kind of my goal. Cool. Krabby, you still working out, man? I am. Last year was a rough year. I put on a lot of weight. So this year I've been a lot more careful with my diet. I got my mind back in a good mindset, like Sean was just saying. Um, and I've been able to keep at it and, and be consistent and I'm probably the lightest I have been since I was like in my early twenties right now. That's awesome. And I've been lifting every day minus maybe one a week. I'll take a break if I'm just uh, like, cause I work night shifts. So some days I just wake up and I'm like, Oh, I did not get enough sleep this week. So I try to do five or six days a week though, where I'm lifting weights and, uh, going on the odd bike ride with my son and my daughter, my daughter, she's three. So she sits on the little carrier behind me on the bike and she loves it. So whenever we can get out, we do that. Yeah. A daughter dearest, you will reside on Park Avenue and marry the 
Well, let's go ahead and roll into news. And uh, first item on the agenda, the return of the Collector Cast. You guys put out a new episode, and what's it been? Has it been like a few years? It has been probably a little over a year since we did our episode previous to that. And then yeah. the one previous to that was like a year gap, too. Like there was a big gap two times in a row. Um, yeah, so we got the old band back together. Originally, it was just Duke, Togo, and myself. Um, we recorded a like comeback episode, what's been happening for the last uh, couple of years of our lives. We invited Bill to come on with us, too, who is one of our, our old cast members. Life was too busy for him at the time. He said, I don't know if I can handle it. I'm not you know, collecting like I used to. I don't know if I'm up to speed. And then right before we recorded our second episode from coming back here, he reached out to us. He's like, yeah, I want in. So we, we threw him back in there, and, and he's he's on board again that's good man i'm glad to hear that i didn't know about this news so uh yeah i'm really really glad to hear that because uh, the three of you guys make a really good show so that'll Thanks. be fun we should have a new episode up any day now it's already recorded and edited we were just trying to give the last one a little room to breathe before we got the next one out understood yeah i'll well, be in touch with uh duke and uh get that thing up on the front page of our generation for you when uh it comes out so yeah just let Appreciate me know that Thanks. Yeah, and welcome back too, man. Glad to have you guys back. And uh, it's nice to have three fluid podcasts uh, on the site now. Of course, we've got you guys that talk about collecting. We've got our podcast, which talks about gameplay and you know specific games mainly. And then we've got our shmup podcast, the uh, Shoot the Core cast, which is really taken off. They've been getting a lot of hits. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's really cool, man. Yeah, it's awesome to see three gaming podcasts, then they're all like wildly different in content. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, Sean, do you want to take this one? It's something that we spoke about. It's been a while back, but we, we talked about the closing of Telltale Studios, but it looks like someone has bought them out, right? Yeah, and this this news is kind of like a mixed blessing, I guess you could say. And I think it's the head, yeah. it's more like a headliney, clickbaity kind of story. Two dudes basically bought the company and the name Telltale and a few of the, the properties. It doesn't necessarily mean that the same developers will be working on these games. They said that they might be able to get some of the workers back on freelance, which... I mean, I don't know. That could happen, but it's very fresh news and it's kind of up in the air and, and you know, we're just going to have to kind of see what happens kind of situation. Uh, yep. But it's interesting. I mean, we've seen it happen before with companies that kind of rise from the ashes and in different ways and not even just in the video game industry. I was actually, it's funny, I was in uh, CVS the other day and I saw Twinkies on the shelf and it made me think, remember when like Hostess was going out of business and everybody thought you wouldn't be able to buy Twinkies anymore and people were selling <laughs> Twinkies for like $100 on eBay and stuff and it's like, no, they just got bought, like whatever happened with them, they got bought or whatever it was and they came back and they're fine and then you can buy Twinkies now, so... Something like that might end up happening with Telltale and some of their series of games coming back, potentially. But we won't know what that will look like, you know, because, again, different developers, you know, different workers in the company. And the whole thing with, you know, Telltale's engine, their infamous engine that the owner, you know, refused to update or work on or change or overhaul or make a new engine... 
it would be kind of neat to see like do they get the rights to that code or are they gonna start making games from scratch you know what i mean that wasn't yeah. included in anything that i had read so yeah it's the internet is a blessing and a curse especially when it comes to social media isn't it? i mean you hear this news and yeah it's exciting to hear that something may be done with it but you know, in less than 30 minutes, people are already saying that they're going to do Wolf Among Us 2. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, stuff just people are just spitting out. Nothing's been confirmed. It just, yeah, it's kind of aggravating. But I do wish them the best. And I do hope that that studio can, you know, get its legs under it and we can see more games because, uh, you know, I, I do like those type of games. I'm definitely a fan. I know it's not for everyone. And, you know, I, I get that. But, you know, I hope they can do some lesser-known stuff, you know, like with Wolf Among Us, because uh, that was one of the more enjoyable. And then my second point is, I've never eaten a Twinkie. No, oh, never in your life? Never. Huh. Is that on your bucket list, too? No, not at all. <laughs> Does that count as a whole food? <laughs> Absolutely. That's like the opposite of a whole food. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna break his perfect 42. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you can't eat a Twinkie. You're not missing much. I mean, it's just a sponge cake with cream in it. So Yeah. I don't like cream-filled stuff anyway. I'm not, okay. I'm not a fan of like cream-filled donuts or anything like that. So I, I don't think I would be a big fan of that. What's interesting is uh, I have a friend that's my age, around 42, and he's never eaten salad before. He's never had lettuce in his life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's amazing. Is he planning to live? Past perfect 45? Uh, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> he he told me the other day that his wife was going to do like a salad, make some kale, or put it in some stuff. And all my other friends were like, man, you got to put this on YouTube. You got to record the first time you've eaten salad <laughs> in 42 years. So <laughs> I can only imagine what that's going to do to his stomach. <laughs> uh, so we do have another little piece of news I put it on the list just because I thought it was noteworthy for us, always talking about digital versus physical, collecting versus not collecting, all that stuff, and piracy. We got the right guy on the show for this time. Yeah, and I figured with Krabby being here, he can throw in his two cents. Uh, but uh, there was a big hubbub a couple weeks ago because DuckTales Remastered was delisted from all online platforms, so you can't purchase it digitally anymore. So, of course, there's like a frenzy for people to pick up the physical copies and prices spiked for a couple of days. And and then now, you know, the hubbub is over and nobody cares. I'm sure you can, I'm sure you can buy them for <laughs> whatever prices they were before that. But, you know, this is just another example. It's just like Scott Pilgrim or that Ninja Turtles game, like a kind of a big name game that got delisted for copyright reasons or whatever it was. And, of course, it brings up the debate of game preservation and, you know, the digital future. So, for me, I have played the game. It was it was out on PlayStation Plus a while back, and I played through it. Very cool game. I don't know if I have it on any of my devices, and now that it's delisted, I'm, I probably can't download it. But I do have it on my hacked Wii U, which is mm. the piracy angle of it. Yeah, I'm not sure. This isn't a major a major one for me, but I get it. It's another needle in the voodoo doll that is uh, <laughs> you know, video game preservation. So 
Yeah. I was reading somewhere that it was only out physically on Wii U, and that was the way that people needed to go find it. And I found a Wii U copy for like 10 bucks, and I had it in my hand. I was going to buy it, and I was like, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure I have this on PS3. And I looked at my phone, and definitely I have a physical version on PS3. And I remember picking up this game at the time it came out, and there were actually physical copies of DuckTales Remastered, and then there was also on PS3, They remember how they would like sell the cases and it would just be a download code inside of the case? Yeah, and I remember that being controversial with this game in particular. Yeah, I played through it as well. From what I remember about it, the only real difference other than the you know the gameplay and uh, super enhancement of the graphics was the first level i think there's a uh, level inside of scrooge mcduck's vault from what i remember and that was pretty much the only difference as far as the uh, worlds were concerned right yeah there's that like training level they uh, you remember the very end too in the old one where you basically just climb a rope faster than the bus so they actually have a platform yeah there you have to that was a pain in the ass too because there's lava that rises as you're going right yeah Yeah. that took me a few times to get those jumps because they're fairly quick and some of the platforming is not so great in that game you want to move into the nintendo direct yeah man let's do it i'll watch my two videos cool appreciate you doing that Yeah, so they had a Nintendo Direct uh, a couple days ago, and I usually don't care too much about these, to be honest. Like, I feel like game announcements kind of filter through to me through social media and through talking to you guys and talking to the ARF Generation people on Slack and, and on ARF Generation. And, like, that news gets to me in a way that I never feel like I need to watch a Nintendo Direct. However, after this one, after the dust had settled, like pretty quickly people were saying like, this was the best direct ever. And I don't know if they say that for every one of these, but (laughs) there seemed to be a lot of hype for it. And when I looked into some of the things that were announced, I was like, oh, we should probably talk about this because there's some really cool stuff in here. So I made a little list and maybe we could just kind of go back and forth. And if one of us mentions something that somebody else has just cross it off your list so we don't duplicate so i mean rich actually for you like a lot of these i don't know these are mostly switch announcements if not all of them so yeah how did this play to you as someone who doesn't own one yet but wants to is this like oh okay i'm like ready to pre-order the new switch or buy a, a model one or like how did this form your perception of the switch You know, it really didn't change my perception of the Switch in any way as far as do I want to get one now or anything. You remember when PlayStation would do announcements for PS4, we would see something, and I didn't even own a PS4, and I would still get really excited about it. Um, You know, stuff like Last Guardian and We Happy Few. Yeah. I would still get excited even if it wasn't a system that I own stuff for. And so with Nintendo, it's kind of the same way. However, I felt like... This Nintendo Direct was a lot of remakes from the Wii U, and then the other big announcement was the Super Nintendo stuff. And for me, in the way I collect, I really don't care about that type of stuff. That's not something I would be interested in having on the Switch anyway. I I don't have any reason to have Super Nintendo games on the Switch because I have a fairly vast collection, as I know, you know, Krabby does as well. But... You know, there there were a few titles that I was quite interested in. I didn't make a list, but uh, I'm sure you'll call some of those out and we can, you know, kind of talk about that. But that's kind of my perspective on it. 
Gotcha. Well, since you bring up the SNES games or SNES games or SNES games being put on, I'm just trying to piss everybody off. Um, yeah. <laughs> you already did it earlier with SNES drunk. So, yeah. uh, Krabby, I know you are actually into this because you have Nintendo Online. I have it too. And I was like, okay, finally, uh, Super Nintendo games. So what did you think? Like it's about time or not enough games or what are you thinking? No, it's a great starter bundle. There's only a couple stinkers on there. It's mostly pretty solid list. I, I was hoping while they were announcing them, there'd be a couple more role-playing games like they had on the uh, Super Nintendo Classic because the only one really was uh, Breath of Fire, yeah. which is still awesome. That's the one that jumped out to me the most that I'll probably sit down and play in bed once in a while. Yeah, I'm really excited to see them keep adding some more games. I know a lot of people complain about the slow trickle they put of NES games on lately, but I love some of the obscure stuff they put out there for people that hadn't tried like Solomon's Key, even if they only played for 10 minutes. Like it, It's cool to experience that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I, ho- I hope they dig deep into the Super Nintendo library like they did with the NES one too, as well as getting some more classics on there. Yeah, I'm not trying to like thumb my nose at it or anything. It's just, you know, I'm kind of speaking the perspective of someone who collects these classic games. You know what I mean? I mean, I I like the fact that they're putting these games out here for a younger generation, you know, so that a younger generation can really appreciate these games. And for people that maybe played these games when they were younger and are now coming back and finding the time to game later in life, I think it's great. It's just for me personally... It just kind of doesn't do a lot for me, but I'm not saying it's not a good thing. It's just not as exciting as, say, a new game would be that comes out on the Switch. I'm totally with you, Rich. The reason we have the online is because my son wants to play Splatoon and Smash Brothers. And yep. So for 20 bucks a year, I was like, yeah, I guess we can do that. It's way better than 60, 70 bucks a year for the for the other consoles. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is just a bonus for me because I probably wouldn't have it otherwise. Right. I'm not a big fan of the, like... Netflix style though, where it's, it's you, you pay to have the access because if uh, if we don't renew it, or you know, ten years from now, if Switch Online is not running, I don't can't play any of these games, um, mm-hmm. which which sucks. Whereas if you could at least have download them like the old eShop, then I could still play them offline. I can still play them whenever I want, as long as my console lives. That kind of stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. that's kind of the reason we do what we do, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. How about you, Sean? What are your thoughts on that? I actually like it because my Nintendo Switch is one of the only handhelds I have that isn't hacked or that I don't have a hacked one of, like all my PSPs, Vitas, a couple of my 3DSs. Like they're all hacked and they're just loaded to the gills with ROMs anyway. But my- Wait, let me stop you right there. Did you just call this a handheld? Yeah, I know. I was thinking if you could see me, I was doing air quotes. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You just don't hit your microphone when you do them like I do. So so it's kind of cool. I mean, I actually got on to Nintendo Online because of a promotion that they were doing where if you had a Twitch account, you could get uh, Nintendo Online for free for a year. And if you have an Amazon Prime account, you automatically have a Twitch account. So because I have Amazon Prime, I just signed up for a Twitch account and then signed up for Nintendo Online for a year. So I got it all for free. But, you know, like Krabby said, it's 20 bucks a year. That's not a bad... It, yeah. it does make me want to like find something to play online. Like paying tw- 20 bucks a year to play some ROMs on a Switch isn't worth it, but... 
I could like, you know, justify perhaps playing Overwatch on the Switch. That was one of the things that was announced at this direct. Yeah. Uh, I've never played it, but I would give it a try. If you guys want, I'll just kind of start knocking out other stuff on this list. Um, yeah, that'd be great, man. So Luigi's Mansion 3 kind of caught my eye. Uh, not a huge fan of the franchise, but my wife played the first Luigi's Mansion and she really liked it. <laughs> it's funny. She got to the end of the game and neither one of us could beat Bowser. And it's like, it's known as a very easy game, but we just couldn't put it away. It was really funny. Like, just couldn't beat it. So It's kind of like, uh, Mario Land 2 from, from last playcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's good point. got that big spike right at the end. Yeah, pretty much. They are going to release uh, Tokyo Mirage on mm-hmm. yeah. on the Switch, which is cool. I mean, I now I I have a Wii U, and Rich, you have a Wii U, and you have this game already. So yes, it is. It's a little bit of uh, all right, I guess. You know, it's kind of like Bayonetta. Like yeah. I play Bayonetta all over the place. Like I guess now I have it on my Switch too, kind of thing. Doom 64, I don't know if anybody cares about that. It looks beautiful. Like it's On the last Collector Cast, Duke Togo was berating me for not play that, and then they announced it right away. Oh, so, oh yep, so, yep. I guess i got to get on that. <laughs> the other big port is uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. And this is a game I've talked about on the show. I was playing it on the 3DS. I got about eight hours in, and I thought, wow, I really just want to play this game on the TV. It's so beautiful. So I started over, started playing it on my Wii U, on the virtual Wii, tried to do something with the hack in the in the virtual Wii, and bricked it. So there goes that playthrough that I was like 40 hours into. <laughs> So, wow. yeah, I got really far the second time. I was really, I didn't care about the Wii U or the virtual Wii. I didn't, if it was nothing else, I wouldn't have cared. I've been like, oh, well, like, but my save file being locked away forever like that uh, was the most upsetting part about it. So maybe Xenoblade Chronicles on the Switch, third time will be a charm for me. But I got to ask you, Krabby, looking at the graphics, they took what was, uh, not exactly photorealistic, but like based on more um, human features in the original like character models. Uh, but now it's pretty much an anime game. And a lot of people are like, wow, it looks amazing. And it's some people, including myself, are like, wow, this is just another anime game now. Uh, and I kind of like the old way better. So how do, how do you feel about that? That's actually always been a problem in the Xeno series. When Xenosaga 2 came out, they made the exact same characters from 1 just look way more anime, and there was a huge backlash to that, even though the game was really awesome. Hmm. And Xenoblade Chronicles 2, same thing. Like You're literally collecting anime waifus and leveling them up the whole game, which you don't do in the first one. I have no issue with it. This feels at home for someone who's played a whole bunch of different games in that series. But um, I like both art styles and seeing that they're actually just putting effort into the remake and not just doing a direct port over, I- I'm a fan of. So if it looks a little different, but we get more content and it you know runs smooth and everything, like thumbs up for me. Nice. Good point. So I got one more. I saved the best for last, in my opinion. <laughs> I couldn't believe this. This is one of those like when Nier Automata got announced, it was like my jaw hit the floor. Like they're making another Nier game. Uh, Like this this kind of (laughs) announcement, deadly premonition two for the switch. Krabby, are you familiar with this franchise? I haven't played it, but I'm familiar with it. And I am also very excited. Okay. And rich, you, you know about it, but you haven't played it. 
I own it. I know about it. I haven't played it. I cannot believe as crazy and as janky as this game is, we have not played it on a Playcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done it in October. Yeah, we we definitely need to play it. Now we have a really good excuse. But the fact that they're making Deadly Premonition 2 is uh, just a dream come true. And uh, when I got my Xbox One, one of the first pl- things I played was Dark Dreams Don't Die. And unfortunately, that was supposed to be episodic, and they only made episode one, uh, and that was from the same developer. It's hard to explain. Like, of course, I would rather have a Deadly Premonition 2 more than I would have, would rather have more Dark Dreams Don't Die. But in my mind, I'm like, why didn't they finish Dark Dreams Don't Die? It must have had something to do with whatever their deal with Microsoft was. You know what I mean? And now they're over here with the Switch. I'm sure it's public information and it's out there, but I never like dug into it. But yeah, Deadly Premonition 2, that's like a day one thing for me. Like, oh, and this has nothing to do with the Nintendo Direct, but I found out that they made a disaster report for, and that's coming out. So like all these niche, crazy, like super underground, uh, weird games that are like so near and dear to my heart. We're finally getting Disaster Report 4, which has this crazy history. Like it got canceled after the typhoons and the earthquakes in 2011. And it somehow got brought back and they're actually releasing it and they're localizing it for North America, which is just totally astonishing. And now Deadly Premonition 2 on the Switch. So gaming life is good. I can't complain. So I would say that was a pretty good Nintendo Direct. Yeah, I want to give just a quick shout out to Terry in Smash Bros. too, because a lot of people online are are bashing that, but I'm a big SNK fan, big uh, King of Fighters fan specifically, so I'm really happy to see some more representation from that series. Yeah, and there's a character from Undertale as well that was announced, right? Uh, Yeah, it's like skins for your Mii Fighter. It's not a typical character. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to mention, too, that I thought was interesting and I was kind of interested in maybe owning at some point is the uh, the Kirby game that they announced. It seemed like kind of like an RPG kind of deal. What kind of neat. I've been following it. Apparently, it's a lot like Monster Hunter, but 2D where you get with friends and you just fight a boss. Hmm. Um, but okay. it sounds like there's a lot of mobile trappings to it. Like you can only play X amount of missions uh, and then you have to sit or you pay money to keep going and you have to pay money to unlock certain items and costumes and stuff. Mm, that's a shame. I thought it was just yeah. maybe like a multiplayer game, you know, you could have some fun with. But uh, Yeah, it's a free download to try it, so it's it's worth at least checking out, I guess. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, oh my gosh, what is that game? Uh, Dragon's Crown, you know? Yeah, but if it was only bosses, yeah, same, same kind of idea for sure. Yeah. I, I think one of the reasons people were super up on this direct too was because everything was like out today, out today, out tomorrow, out today, like. Yeah. So much stuff you got instantly. That's true. And with Deadly Premonition 2, they actually released something called Deadly Premonition Origins, which is the first game for the Switch, which is awesome because now all the Switch people can play the first game and, totally. and go on that journey. <laughs> I, I love it when they keep these kind of things secret too. Like I know Overwatch leaked a, a few days early, but like nobody saw Divinity 2 coming. And the Super Nintendo stuff was kind of speculated, but not like the next day kind of thing. And like, it was really awesome. All right, then. Well, how about we roll into recent pickups? Uh, 
We'll let our guests go first. Krabby, please don't tell us everything you've bought since you were on the show <laughs> last time. Maybe just some stuff within the last month. Okay, I'll keep it small. Um, I, I normally don't pick up that much. It's actually been a really good month for me. Um, I had a friend just offer up a one of those double-sided shelving units uh, that you would have seen at like a Blockbuster. Very cool. Yeah, so I had literally only enough space to add that into my game room, and there's no more shelves ever going in there because it's it's maxed out now. Um, Bickman on the site gave me a heads up that Best Buy was discounting Starlink again, the Switch version with Star Fox and the R-Wing. So I went and grabbed that, which never, like, when you guys get discounts in the States, they don't often also get discounted up here in Canada, so it was really awesome to actually get the discount for once. Uh, I picked up the special edition of Tokyo Mirage Sessions, the special edition of Persona 2 Innocent Sin uh, for PSP, and Castlevania Portrait of Ruin for the DS, um, all from my old store. I had a buddy there who held on to those for me until I could come down. Nice. Yeah. And then uh, lastly, one of our awesome members at RF Generation, Tinstar, has been letting me uh, slowly pay him down over a couple months here i think longer than he would have liked but uh, <laughs> it's getting his money eventually and he sent me a huge box of 32x games and sega master system games so some of the highlights for me were like i got tempo uh, knuckles chaotix i got spider-man uh, web of fire i got the 32x cd games corpse killer and night trap all from him so i literally have every th- not every 32x game but every 3x game i intend on getting i have right one. And then for Master System, I got some gems that I was surprisingly missing, like uh, Fantasy Star, mm-hmm. uh, Galaxy Force, uh, Alex Kidd, and Shinobi World I've been wanting for a long time. Uh, so he hooked me up with all of those games plus a bunch of others. Um, I was very excited to get that in the mail recently. Yeah, I got to apologize to you. I know that um, Ten Star was getting rid of his Sega Master System games, and that's actually, as I've mentioned on the show before, how I finished off my Sega Master System set. And uh, you and I both wanted the, his copy of Golden Axe Warrior. And uh, you, you were kind enough to say, I know you're going for that complete set, so please, you know, if he's going to sell it to you, go ahead and do that. Yeah, no no apology necessary. Because I've, I've done a couple big deals with him in the past, so he actually gave me first stab at everything. And I said, check with Rich first if he wants that one. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was really cool. And I got to say, and you can... You can reiterate this, but everything I got from him is like minty clean. It's unbelievable. Yeah, like I bought a huge lot of Sega CD games off him a couple years ago, and he was like, I only have a sealed version of these three games. I'm like, well, I can't pay for a sealed one. He's like, just I'll charge you for a complete box copy then. Like, yeah, like it was just unbelievable. Yeah, good stuff, and uh, great member of the site, and he's been on the site longer than I have, I know. Yeah, he's one of the, the earliest guys, I think. Yeah, very cool. Anything else? No, that was it for me. All right. Sean? No, I got nothing. I sold a couple things, still just trying to get rid of stuff. There's some things on the horizon. I, I still I do want to get that kill the kill game, even though it is a three D fighter. Yeah. It is like kind of an arena fighting game, you know, like those Dragon Ball Z games. And I still want it because like I said, like no matter what it is, it's a kill a kill game and I want to have it and I want to at least try it. Uh, and I did watch some reviews and they apparently for that type of game, it's a very good one. So 
It's not a score. It's just a game I want. So I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it's the, it hopefully won't be this way forever of me, like, never having stuff come in. But, you know, I've been just trying to trim the fat still. But there's stuff out there that I want. So rest assured, maybe next month I'll have some stuff. I've seen a few episodes of that show. If the game is as crazy as that show is, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, it looks like I said, it looks really good. It's just that like technical fighters are not my forte, but you know, there's adjustable difficulty. There's a story mode with a lot of cutscenes, and it tells like a side story to the anime. So that's very interesting to me. And that really piques my interest. So, so yeah. I just looked down at my phone and one of you sent a picture of burlesque clowns. So it's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> I wasn't going to out you there, Kelsey, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I've got no shame over this. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Uh, Speaking of no shame, this month, uh, no shame for me. I got some pretty good stuff. Uh, I don't think I mentioned on the last podcast, but um, I finished off my Atari 2600 subset of the blue label cartridges. Um, These are usually done by Activision, and I think there was one by iMagic, which was Demon Attack. But I found a very elusive copy of Skeen, which usually goes for about 50 or 60 bucks. Some saintly gentleman in Canada who owned a pawn shop had it on there listed by it now for like 10 bucks. So I snatched that up. I was even happy to pay the shipping from Canada <laughs> for that one. And then the other 2600 game uh, that's noteworthy is, um, you guys probably know you've seen that the 2600 games made by Atari later had the red or, uh, kind of burgundy labels and, uh, I did not have Space Invaders. It was the last one I needed to complete that subset. And uh, my buddy Atari Spot, he sent me that. I swapped him out for some uh, manuals that I found locally. He, he's a manual guy. I'm not. So we just did a uh, even swap for that and uh, was able to complete that subset. Some Genesis stuff. Found a copy of the game Junction, which I've never played. I don't know if either of you have played that one. I've seen the case. I've never played it, though. Yeah, it's like a little puzzle game. Yeah. I got it for a few bucks. I found it in a bin that, you know, they were just trying to get rid of these games, and it was complete. So I was like, yeah, why not? Uh, It was in, like, a rental case, but I was able to swap that out, and they even sold me the the Genesis case for a buck. So, uh, yeah, I was happy to pull that out. I grabbed a copy of Marco loose which is a platformer with a kid with a soccer ball kind of weird and i really like kind of strange stuff like that and then at a flea market i was able to get a copy of task force harrier complete in box 10 bucks which is awesome (laughs) it was a great deal it's a, a nice little shmup not the best on the system but i was able to pick that up and i'm happy to say that my loose copy is now going to our buddy uh josh who uh, leads the core cast and he's going to be getting that for a great deal. And he's happy to have it. So uh, glad that, uh, you know, I could make that happen. Something else I picked up, and this is a game that I've really been considering wanting to play on the show at some point, And that is uh, final fantasy tactics. I had it already on the PlayStation, but I actually found a copy for PSP. And I know Duke's been playing that and really enjoying it. And, uh, you know, ever since, um, you know, we started playing tactical RPGs, you know, playing the Shining Force series and uh, Vandal Hearts. I've just been really into tactical games. I know Duke Togo's been playing through this game, right, Krabby? Yep. He's a big fan. Yeah. P- 
PS3, I picked up a copy of Saints Row 3, the full package. <laughs> a funny story, I just picked it up a few days ago. I thought that I had it. Sean and I were going back and forth between playing Saints Row 3 and 4 next month, or technically this month, and um, found the copy of full package for that. Uh, I had to go out and get it because I had 4 but did not have 3, and for some reason I thought I did, and it just kind of slipped under the radar. So I grabbed that and already been playing that and quite enjoying that a lot. Uh, Super NES, I picked up Super James Pond. I have all three games on the Genesis. It's just kind of just a quirky kind of fun platformer where you're a fish in a tuxedo. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, kind of neat. Uh, found that at the flea market the same day I got Task Force Harrier for a really good price. It's just not an expensive Super Nintendo game, but one you don't really see very often. And then um, PS4, I got my copy of Ninja Savior's Return of the Warriors in. Really pumped about that. And then got a copy of Slain Back from Hell. You familiar with that game, guys? I'm not. No. no. That sounds awesome, though. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, sort of like a, a modern sort of 8-bit uh, Metroidvania type thing with uh, you know some rock and roll music. So uh, definitely crabby. I think this looks like it might be right up your alley, so you might want to... Uh, give that a look. I'm already yeah. sold. Checking my account <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah, and then something I posted about today. Um, uh, this has kind of got mixed reviews, but I picked up a copy of Song of the Deep, which was kind of tough for me to find, but I finally tracked down a copy, and uh, pretty happy to have that. Uh, someone mentioned that it was sort of like I think might have been you, Crabby, said it was like Child yeah, of Light. Just in the visuals, it's it's like a Metroid style game, though. Yeah, well, that, that's good enough for me, man. I had fun with it. My son played quite a bit of it with me too. Yeah. And uh, something I'm surprised you didn't mention, Krabby, something else I got was a copy of The Messenger. Oh, yeah, that just showed up like two days ago. I forgot. Um, yeah, I got The Messenger for Switch in, which I is one of my like items because every year I go back and look at like, what the limited run games are coming out are and which ones I really want. And that one and Celeste are at the top of my list, so I'm very yeah. happy to get that. I've pre-ordered Celeste. I haven't heard anything else about it yet. but uh... The company just finished the DLC. Which okay. is what they were waiting on, so it should go to pressing within the next one to two weeks, and then ship out a week or two after that. So I'd say probably another month, and you'll have it. Cool. Um, and one that I um, I just pre-ordered was uh, was it, is it Tokyo Rumble Girls? Do you know about that? I don't. Sounds like something I'd be into, but I don't <laughs> think I've heard of it. Oh, it's um. Uh, not Tokyo Rumble Girls. Is it? It's is it, is it River, River City? City? River City oh, Girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sorry, yeah, I misquoted yeah. that. But uh, yeah, River City Girls, which is you know uh, brawler with all female characters, Sean, which I think you would enjoy for that reason. Yeah. Based on the old Kunio Kun stuff too, which it looks awesome. Yeah, it looks like it'd be pretty fun, and it's fairly cheap. So uh, for a PS4 game, so I went ahead and pre-ordered that. Um, knocked out some other PS1 games I've been looking for. I heard the game. Too Extreme was kind of, uh, I don't want to say hidden gem, but, uh, you know, a real fun game to play on PS1 from, uh, you know, one of those games that people played back in the day and, you know, really enjoyed as kids. So I thought I'd grab that really cheap. What, and, what uh, is that? It sounds like an extreme sports game. Yeah, it is. I was actually one of those people who had it when I was a kid. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good pickup. Well, tell us what it's about. Tell us uh, what kind of events are in it. I know there's like downhill roller skating that you can kind of fight and do that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't remember it too much, but you do have like uh, skateboarding and BMX biking and all that kind of stuff. I honestly don't remember it that 
great, but when I saw it, it really like hit my nostalgia senses seeing it in your picture. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, kicked you in the old nostalgia nuts. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> the new catchphrase. You could copyright that. <laughs> uh, also picked up a copy of uh, Battle Arena to Shinden. And uh, this was a game I played when I was younger a lot. I remember the long case, and I think it's a little more common to see the long case than the jewel case, but I found the small jewel case. So uh, I was like, yeah, for a few bucks, I'll grab that. You know, it'll, it'll go nicely into my collection. Won't take up a lot of room. <laughs> grab Tetris Plus, Air Guys, and uh, Legend of Lagaya and uh, Bushido Blade 2. The other day in the same hall, which was really nice. Uh, Bushido Blade was a game my brother and I played the hell out of as kids and had a lot of fun with that. It's um, combat where you don't have a life meter, but if you hit someone in the limb, like they lose usage of that arm and you can hit somebody with one blow and kill them depending on where you hit them. You can hit their legs and they have to crawl and fight you. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's a neat little game. And, uh, and I've heard the second one's even better. So, yeah, the first one, not very impressive. So, uh, yeah, I've been looking for this one for a while. It's not one that pops up very often. Um, we mentioned our buddy Ten Star, and um, he put a post on the thread uh, that we're all on a few weeks ago and said that he had come across a boxed microvision system. And so he picked that up for me at a really, really good price. They had some games, but they were a little expensive, so I passed on those. But in the meantime... This system only has 11 games, and one of the games comes with it, which is a clone of Breakout. It's called Blockbuster. And in the meantime, I've been able to collect all of those games for a complete microvision set. So that happened really quick. But it's not something that a lot of people collect for. It's something I've been looking for for years because my uncle actually had one. My uncle's 10 years older than me, and so he's sort of like an older brother, and so we hung out quite a lot. And, uh, you know, it was definitely a system that I wanted to uh, find. And once I did, it was uh, easy to collect for and easy to complete. So uh, I went ahead and did that. And uh, finally, the last thing is um, I mentioned before that I had bought an empty cabinet and was building a Phoenix Arcade. And uh, wouldn't you know it, my neighbor was like, I'm selling my Phoenix Arcade cabinet. Do you want it? <laughs> And I'm like, well, damn, this kind of sucks because I've got all these parts. But then even with the parts that I had, like he was selling it for a price that was cheaper than what it was going to take for me to build the one I already had, finding a monitor and all that crap. You know how that goes. It's really tough monitors to find monitors. are the worst. So he had it, working monitor, everything going well. The only thing that needs to be tweaked on it uh it needs a new control panel overlay which of course i already had for the one i was going to build so it just came out cheaper for me to do that and uh, as far as the time investment as well you know it was a no-brainer so i got that from him and uh the other cabinet that i have one of my friends is working on a pinball machine for me and he's been looking to do a multi-cade for his game room and so i'm just going to swap that out for some work that he's uh, doing for me so it all works out you know
so let's roll into what are you playing? Once again, you want to kick it off to our guest? Sure. All right, Krabby, what are you playing? All right, well, for review purposes, I played a game called Exception, which was awesome. It's like a kind of Ninja Gaiden style, like single screen platformer. Um, had a lot of fun with that one. Played one called Pantsu Hunter, which was not a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, played one called Headlight. Pantsu Hunter, once again, sounds like something that's in my wheelhouse. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? I can. It is a game set in the 90s where you are a, you're a supposed jack of all trades, and it's, it's done all in visual novel stuff with very, very light puzzle, where you are trying to steal panties from women <laughs> to learn more about them. Mm -hmm. which like i don't have a problem with the concept and the visuals actually looks really nice it's got a good 90s aesthetic to it it is so shallow and pointless and the writing's awful and like the puzzles are ridiculous and silly things like sitting in a chair will just randomly kill you there's not a lot of thought put into how the game goes together you can tell they just wanted to draw a bunch of panties okay so it sounds like it's not what i thought it was which was some kind of like localized japanese anime game with waifus in it probably looking at it you'd say this looks interesting because visually it's very sharp but it's not great i would not recommend it cool thanks for the warning no worries (laughs) Uh, i played another one for review purposes called headliner navi news uh which was a cool one where you play a editor at a newspaper in a fictional country and you have to choose which stories to release to the public and which ones to bury and then you, you walk home from work after that and you walk home like you're seeing people rioting over healthcare costs or like <laughs> trying to deport foreigners for invading countries. So whatever choices you make affect the gameplay throughout it, which is really, really cool. Um, and then I'm always playing NES. So I, pl- I finally beat Superman on the NES, which has been something I've tried for a long time. Uh, I've been plugging away at Prince of Persia on the NES, which I'm almost done. I think I'm on like the maybe second last level. It's pretty tough, but you can do it level at a time and you get a code. So I just plug away at it when I get a chance. That's good. A uh, buddy of mine has been playing Mega Man X Command Mission with me on the weekends. So he's put in a few hours every Saturday morning on that one. Uh, we also last time snuck in some of the SNK 40th anniversary collection, which was phenomenal. It's so much fun with that. And it's it's really cool to see companies put that kind of care into a collection or like a legacy product like that. Because there's uh, museums with, they have like uh, arcade flyers they would have sent to the operators back then, like in the museum. Oh, wow. That's neat. They've got all the soundtrack stuff. They've got console and arcade and US and Japanese versions for a lot of these games. They have a mode called a watch mode where you can just turn on the game and it will autoplay like a perfect run of the game by itself. And then whenever you decide you're done watching and you want to play, you can jump into that exact moment and start picking the game up from there. So if you just want to play the last boss with all your health and weapons and stuff, like you can totally do that. Really cool idea for a collection like that. And I hope more companies pick up on that. That is cool. I kickstarted Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. And there's a friend that I specifically wanted to play it with. So I've been holding off and holding off. We finally sat down and played the first little bit of Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Really enjoying that so far. Mm-hmm. And lastly, the uh, with the new Nintendo Direct we were just talking about, um, the Tetris 99 updates are awesome. So I've, I kind of jump back in and play a little bit of Tetris 99 every day because they've got like 
daily missions to do to unlock new themes and stuff. Um, they've got a new Invictus mode where if you've won a Tetris 99 match, then it unlocks this mode and you can play it against people who have also won the matches. So it starts off way faster and it's all like pretty skilled players. So it's very challenging, but it's a lot of fun. I haven't done very well in there yet, but I'm hoping to get a little better. That's awesome. Well, I'll just segue off of your what are you playing. You said Tetris 99. Uh, one of the games that I've been playing is a game that I bought uh, about a month ago, and that is Tetris Effect. Uh, I just nice. started playing that, and wow, man, my kids are having such a good time watching me play that. It's funny when you can get your kids interested in dropping shapes, you know, to make lines. My kids do the same thing when I'm playing Tetris 99. I just all of a sudden, because you're in the zone, I'm not always paying attention to my surroundings playing Tetris. And all of a sudden, there's like two heads popping over my shoulders watching me drop blocks. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Tetris Effect. The music is awesome. You know, when you move the blocks from side to side, you'll get little noises or drum beats. You know, maybe someone will start singing, you know, as you hit like a certain number of lines. If you have to get 60 lines, you know, sometimes it changes every 15 or 20. So it's really, really well done. Beautiful music, beautiful effects in the background, too. I I haven't really played any Tetrises since the original, so I don't know what's new, like as far as like being able to swap out blocks, which you can do in, in this version for some of the boards. When you get to the later boards, you can't. And I'm actually all the way to the last board, but uh, I, I can't beat it. Can't get 90 lines. It is just too much with it dropping at like a speed of 10. So uh, I've been really struggling on that, but still just really enjoying the game. My wife is enjoying it too. She's a big, big Dr. Mario player and, you know, loves Tetris as well. So uh, other than Saints Row the Third, that's what I've been playing this month. How about you, Sean? Yeah, so I didn't want to go 0 for 2 with pickups and playing because I really haven't played anything except for our playthrough games like since Super Mario Land 1 and 2. So the only games I've beaten lately are Super Mario Land 1 and 2, Danganronpa 2, and that's it. Like since I beat Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2, that's the only game I've beaten outside of playthrough games. It has a lot to do with the long-windedness of Danganronpa 2, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But uh, being finally freed from that game, I decided to, like, I must play something else. So, because I have this Games Pass thing on Xbox One, and because I really love the Gears of War franchise, I have a chance to be on the zeitgeist of a new Gears game for the first time ever. Like, I've never played them right when they come out. I wait until they're $10 used and and then play through them. But the game came out yesterday, I think, and I started playing it today, and that's pretty cool. I love every game in the series, even Judgment. All of the games are so much fun in the Gears of War series. I've never had a bad time playing any of them. And so far, this one's really good as well. So, uh, you know, I started it today. I didn't get super far. I did like the tutorial and the first level. But it's kind of cool because one of the <laughs> one of the cast members is voiced by the great and beautiful and amazing Laura Bailey, who is also the voice, one of the female voices in Saints Row the Third. So my female... She's uh, Batgirl in the Injustice. She's also Batgirl in the Telltale game that we played. So... 
Yeah, Laura Bailey, she's one of the greats. Uh, so it's kind of funny to be playing <laughs> her. Like Gears character has the same voice as my like mentally deranged Saints Row character. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Gears Five is what I'm playing, and so far I really like it. Awesome, man. I saw you and Bill going back and forth about it. I know Bill's a huge Gears fan. I have never played a Gears game. I haven't either. I think this is something that we should probably remedy, Sean. I know we've, Yeah, we've talked about it. Yeah, I know we've kind of got everything set for the rest of the year right now, but uh, we should definitely check out a Gears game sometime. I remember watching a friend play it, but I've never done it. I think it would be cool to do the first one because... It's the first game in the series for you to play, and you can play it on the 360, but I'm also interested in playing the remaster that came out for the Xbox One, so that would be a good way to tackle that first game in the series. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. All right, so we're going to roll into our game discussion now, and Rich, you're the host, and I'll kick it over to you after I go over our question of the month, and as usual, you came up with a good one. Here it is. In the Danganronpa series, the mascot is Monokuma, a homicidal teddy bear. Are there any mascots that terrified you as a child or are even unsettling to you today? So we got a few answers from Twitter. Corey Robertson, uh, our friend Turn Around and Run, he says, As a child, I was terrified of the Crypt Keeper from the show Tales from the Crypt. Just flipping channels as a kid and coming across this show would scare me stupid, and I would run to my parents' room. That's a great answer, and I kind of agree with him. Duke Togo from the Collector Cast says, Not as a child, but what is up with the creepy Burger King guy, and how did they make an even creepier game with him sneaking up on people? So he is referring to this weird plastic Burger King king that they made uh, back in the early 2000s, 2010s, I guess. Yeah, weren't the uh, the games were actually released on the original Xbox, right? There was uh, I think it was 360. King. Was they, it 360? They played, um, they played on both systems. Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 Wasn't there a bumper car game or something like that as well? Yeah, Can't Big Bumpin', I think it was called. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, we all have those in our collections, right? <laughs> you know it. Uh, so Isred actually replied to that, and he said, King isn't creepy, Ronald is. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we got one more from Buried on Mars. He, he posted a YouTube video. Uh, he said this thing. I could never sit through the entire commercial. <laughs> and it's a Mountain Dew commercial with some CGI monstrosity called Puppy Monkey Baby. Uh, that was yeah. in Super Bowl a few years ago. Yeah. yeah so I watched it. I, don't, I didn't remember this. But uh, yeah, he's right. It's very off-putting. <laughs> it's a monkey's body wearing a diaper with like a, the face of a pug. And he's just bringing in Mountain Dews for these guys. And that puppy monkey baby like theme they have is like yeah. an earworm. Yeah. That my son and I like give to each other once in a while, like still <laughs> to this day. <laughs> That's really funny. That's the kind of thing your kids get obsessed with and drive you nuts with. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. Oh, we do have one more, but this is from Mr. Stubbs. 
He said this is more of a current issue, but the current rendition of the Burger King King bothers me a lot. So throwing back to the Burger King, the idea of a mute, dead-eyed, big plastic-headed king following and watching people eat really bothers me. Ha ha! <laughs> Two votes for the king. Yep, exactly. Uh, so uh, as usual, I asked Mrs. Gray Ghost, and it's funny her answer and my answer are not mascots at all they're not even used for advertising like but we had to come up with something and her answer is so funny that it makes no sense but i had to keep it i asked her this question she's sitting eating lunch i'm in the other room from the living room and i just like kind of not shouting but just loudly to her i asked her the question and she says uh oral hersheiser (laughs) (laughs) Now, you might be saying... The picture for the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. So, you might hear that and think, well, what is what is she just trying to like name whatever she can think of that's related to sports kind of thing? Like, is that so, But that's not what's going on here. What she's referring to is Oral Hershiser. I don't know if he still does this, but he was a commentator on ESPN, and mm-hmm. he used to call games. But when they had like the pregame, like just talking heads with him... He's the scariest looking dude now. Like he's an older gentleman, of course. And he's just so scary and mean looking that it's kind of uncanny. Like, and he, he'll just be talking about baseball, but he looks like he's going to kill you, you know? <laughs> so when she said that, I knew exactly what she meant. It cracked me up and I knew I would have to, I would have to say it on the show. Yeah. You're like, how am I going to beat my wife's awesome answer? Well, I think I got a good one. <laughs> uh, mine is Robert Stack from Unsolved Mysteries. Again, <laughs> not exactly a mascot, but it kind of goes in the vein of what Corey was saying about Tales from the Crypt. Uh, more of a host of a show that scared the crap out of me as a kid. And I know Robert Stack is a actor of great pedigree. But I know him most from Unsolved Mysteries, and I've been watching some of those episodes lately. I watch them every once in a while because they're on Amazon Prime, and that show is really well produced and well put together, and the reenactments are all really good. It doesn't all hold up like extremely well, but the show is still very watchable. It's really cool, like nostalgia to go back to. And sometimes if I watch it at night, it's still pretty creepy. So that's, that's my answer. Awesome. How about you guys? I'm glad you went a little weird with yours. Cause I couldn't think of a mascot either. So the closest <laughs> I came up with was ET used to scare the bejesus out of me as a kid. <laughs> That scene at the start of the movie where they're like running through the field of like wheat or something. I never got past there until I was like 20 because that movie just used to freak me out. And then near the end too, when I finally did get past there, when all the government agents are coming after him, like that movie's terrifying. Oh, white E.T. will mess you up too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that creeped the hell out of me too as a kid. I mean, I just remember like the Reese's pieces, you know, and him like coming out as before you ever saw like what he looked like. And Mm -hmm. that movie starts off sort of like a horror movie. My kids have already seen it, of course, and I remember watching it with them for the first time. And they were a little apprehensive, you know, about the whole film, but, you know, ended up liking it 
after they had seen it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was one of those things when we were young, they could get away with a little bit of horror, you know, in a, in a kid's movie. I mean, think about Gremlins. Yeah. Totally. I got yeah. a picture of my daughter doing like the thing from the ET where he's hiding in all the stuffed animals. Yes. Where she's That's doing great. the same thing. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So for me, the mascot that really freaked me out, this is kind of an odd answer, but uh, do you guys remember the snuggle teddy bear for oh, the yeah. snuggle fabric softener? Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. That thing creeped me the hell out. <laughs> I mean, it just looks like it would like get your laundry soft and then turn around and eat your skin or something. It's uh, it's creepy, man. That little teddy bear wrong, just messed me but up. I I think there's a robot chicken sketch where something like that happens. With- oh, are you kidding? I was actually gonna say I thought it was Mad TV, but there there is. Yeah, I know it's I the- really yeah. There's wow. a sketch comedy sketch out there uh, where I because I I actually know this because we have a joke. <laughs> this is so stupid, but I I guess I have to say it now. <laughs> yeah, gotta say it now. We have a joke. At at my job an inside joke because you know how sometimes like this is really bad but like when you say like oh like i'm gonna drink bleach or you should drink bleach it's like a it's a dumb internet joke right it's very it's nasty right don't tell people to drink bleach so one time somebody said it at work and i was like eh, we shouldn't say that and one of my workers said uh, I don't drink bleach. I snug chuggle. <laughs> no, I chug snuggle. <laughs> he said, I don't drink bleach. I chug snuggle. So the theme of snuggle chuggers <laughs> became, <laughs> became it's, it's a joke that is still going on at my job to this day after like two years after this kid made it. Uh, so I know about the sketch comedy sketch because I looked it up and I printed out some pictures of the snuggle bear like biting the woman's neck from the sketch. <laughs> uh, so I'm pretty sure it's, it's alone, I'm pretty sure it's from Mad TV, Rich. You might want to look that up. Uh, yeah, I'll have to check that out then, man. I did not know that, but yet yeah, always, always creeped out by that little teddy bear. It just kind of pop up out of a laundry basket. Just messed me up as a kid. <laughs> And everybody knows you don't drink bleach. You eat Tide Pods. Exactly. So I was the host this month for Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair. We had several participants, all three of us, of course, Dougley007, who always plays, and one of our newest members who's been playing all our games, Mr. Stubbs. And before I really get into the game, I also want to mention that 
our friend here, Mr. Crabmaster, and Mr. Stubbs actually played the first Danganronpa game, and I gotta congratulate you guys and, you know, give you props for this, because that is quite the endeavor. These are not the shortest games, so, uh, yeah, congratulations on that, man. One wasn't nearly as long. I think it might be literally half as long as two. Yeah, I believe you're right. Two was uh, very, very long, and I'm sure that will come into our discussion later. And uh, also, you know, kind of want to get your take on how it was sort of playing these two games back to back. So that that will be very interesting. And we talked today before actually starting to record this podcast, and we just kind of decided what we were going to do, even though we played Danganronpa 2 for the playthrough, that we would go ahead and cover the first game and the second game, uh, the first being Danganronpa, Trigger Happy Havoc, just because they're very, very similar in gameplay and it wouldn't take much to discuss both. And, you know, we could kind of knock two birds out with one stone because Sean and I, of course, uh, Sean, you played the first game earlier this year. Am I correct in that? Yeah, in February I played through it. Yeah, and I played the first game a year ago, which was last August. So, you know, still fairly fresh in my mind, though. You know, I'm definitely going to be leaning on our good buddy Crabmaster to uh, talk about that game, some of the um, the finer story points of that game. But anyway, the story in the first game, which is similar to the second game, is you play as a main character and you are surrounded by a lot of other students in this prestigious high school for uh, students who are known as ultimates and everyone has a specific and special talent however what's kind of happened is you wake up in this school in the first game and no one knows how they got there their memories have all been erased regarding their past and the only thing that they basically have to cling on to are their skills Someone may be like the ultimate chef, someone may be like the ultimate gymnast, the ultimate swimmer, the ultimate trainer. There's all these different uh, roles that each of these characters play in this game, and so it kind of plays into the the story of the game and some of the gameplay aspects of it as far as what those people's occupations, so to speak, are. So these characters are put in this situation where they wake up in the school or in the second game, they wake up on an island and they can't escape both places because they're either blocked in because the school is all boarded up and they can't reach the outside or because they can't find anything to get off the island with. And so in order to get off the island or to escape the school, there is a scenario set up by our good friend, Mr. Monokuma, who is a homicidal teddy bear, which we mentioned earlier when we did our question of the month. He sort of acts like the game show host in a way, right? Uh, or the uh, the judge as well. He reminds me of uh, Richard Dawson in Running Man, if you guys have ever <laughs> seen that movie. Yeah. You know, just very sick and twisted. And, um, it's like a referee, too. He's very obsessed with rules. Yeah, and he's in black and white as well, so I think the referee is a, a good way to describe him. And uh, Krabby, you mentioned the rules. Do you want to talk about what some of those rules are in these games? Um, yeah, he has things like you can't hurt Monokuma. It's a big right. rule. You don't want to mess with him. Um, 
Yeah, no littering and no vandalizing property. And it's got a few others. I can't think of them off the top of my head, though. Yeah, they're very, very specific, and, you know, they kind of uh, flow into both games. Both games have pretty much the same rules. In the second game, he has a little counterpart, which is a stuffed rabbit called, uh, is it Monimi? Is that how you pronounce the name? Usami. Oh, yeah, Usami. That's right. Yeah, yeah. She gets renamed. Yeah. Yeah, and they have this sort of uh, tugging, good and evil, brother-sister type relationship in the game, which is played out quite interesting because you never know whether Unami is actually on your side or not until the end. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good little plot point that they have in the game. I don't know how you guys felt about her role in the game. I don't know that I was the biggest fan, and it kind of just seemed to draw out the game a little bit more. I just felt bad for her the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Monokuma is just beating on her the whole the whole game. And even besides that, she's like, "Hey, kids, I'm here to help," and they're all like, "Get out of here!" Like nobody was nice to her the entire game. Yeah, it is pretty sad. So we bring up Monokuma because he sort of acts as this referee, and what's set up is what is referred to as the prisoner's dilemma. In order to escape the school or the island, you have to murder one of your classmates. And you have to go in front of a jury of all your peers, and if they convict someone else besides you, you get to leave the island or the school, and everybody else is executed. But if you are found to be the murderer, you're the one who's executed, and the game continues on until a murderer is not convicted of the crime. So it sits up. A very, very fascinating and interesting dynamic in this game. And it's something that really, really attracted me to these games when I heard about them. I wanted to play something, you know, Sean and I, we like these kind of like kind of quirky, odd games. And I've pretty much described these games as sort of a mixture between the Professor Layton games and the game like 999, which is kind of a more clue-finding and uh, investigatory and I would say a more serious game, a more dire game. But this this game is a little more offhanded and lighthearted. But still, I mean, we're dealing with some pretty serious and pretty violent murders in this game, which are interestingly covered in pink blood, which I thought was kind of a very cool technique, you know, and uh, a very distinctive feature of these games. So um, just kind of want to hear from you guys, like kind of what you've heard about these games before you played them. And is there anything that's very distinctive or that stood out to you that made you want to play these games? I had had it sitting on my shelf for a long time and I didn't realize it was a visual novel because of the name Trigger Happy Havoc. And being on the Vita, I assumed there was some kind of touchscreen, like, light gun style game that was, like, heavy on the story. Um, it just looked quirky in Japanese was, was basically why I wanted to try it. But then when you guys said you were playing it, I, I moved it way up my backlog to jump in with you. <laughs> Very cool. I'm glad you did. How about you, Sean? Uh, when did you first hear about this series or what kind of got you interested in it? Um, it was collecting for the Vita because these are, they were in North America for a time exclusive on the Vita, uh, eventually got ported to the PS4, but, uh, it was just collecting for the Vita that got them on my radar. And the fact that they're anime as hell and the quirky <laughs> gameplay, and I didn't know too much about what they were about. And, you know, as we describe the game, there's, it's really hard to describe, you know, it's almost like, a, yeah. a 
persona game like you there's so many systems and different things going on and like completely varying styles of gameplay going on uh so i didn't have any idea what it was it was just like oh there's a vita game from japan i need to get it you know what i mean yeah and we need to mention too that i I think this is something that i had mentioned previously as well that it does have sort of persona elements to it because there is a little bit of socialization in the game that can be very beneficial now it's not as heavy as a persona game it's very persona light if you will but uh, yeah, that element is in there. And you know, since you brought it up about the release and everything, and typically we do cover this at the beginning of the show, but the first game, Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc, was released for the PSP in Japan in November 2010. And then Danganronpa 2 Goodbye Despair was released in Japan for the PSP on July 26, 2012. And like you said, these were PSP games that ended up being ported to the Vita on North American release. So we were, you know, fortunate enough to get these. And in North America, the first game came out in February 2014. And the second, a uh, few months later, October 2014. Really happy that, uh, you know, these games got localized because, you know, who knows, this is another series that might have just stayed in Japan and, you know, stayed under the radar. So it's really neat. Pretty impressive localization, too, considering how dialogue heavy these are and how good the translation was. Yeah, I totally agree, you know, and I'm sure at some point we'll talk a little bit about the voice acting and everything. But, you know, uh, just to kind of reiterate, I thought it was very, very well done. So that's the basic nuts and bolts of the story. As you progress through the game, it definitely does get a lot more plot heavy and you're trying to figure out why you're in this situation. You're trying to figure out if any of the other members of your party are behind all of this or if there's some outside force that is basically controlling this situation. So again, is a very interesting dynamic. And the way it's broken up is there are several different scenarios in the game that you have to play through. And each scenario, or what I would probably describe as an act of a play, is built up of a few gameplay elements. The first is sort of the build-up to the murder. This is, you know, a lot of interacting with your fellow students, walking around, talking. You're gathering information, though you don't really know it as you're talking to these different students, and you're learning more about them, learning more about their feelings toward each other, and that sort of thing. There's these moments where you get what's called free time, where you can walk around and build these social relationships with these characters, and, you know, can get rewarded for those relationships. The murder happens. And after that, you go through a period of investigation where you're walking around looking for clues. And then after the investigation concludes, after you've found all the clues, then what you do is you go into the trial phase, which is very interesting as well. And you're deciding whether or not you can find out who the guilty party is who's committed the murder in this game. So... I don't know, guys. I wanted to hear a little bit from you about the gameplay and what you thought about these different elements and how they work. My favorite part was the investigations. Really? Okay. Yeah, I loved looking for the clues and trying to piece it all together in my mind before we got to the trial and and see if I was right when we got there, which 
often I'd have a few parts right, but there'd always be some weird twist in there that, that just threw me <laughs> off. Yeah. How about you, Sean? I'm not sure, actually. The trials are good, but I have so many issues with the mini games, especially in the second game, that it's a weird question. Like, what was your favorite part of the game? I, I, I don't know, honestly. Like, I guess I just like the, the presentation overall. Like, it is a really good, flashy-looking, colorful game. Uh, and the visual novel style and just the character interactions would be something that I enjoyed. Yeah, I think it's very interesting to think of this game as a visual novel. I mean, it obviously is. I mean, that's a good way to describe it. But for whatever reason, I guess I've never really put that together never really saw it as a visual novel. I mean, you do have choice, but I think that one of the things that limits both of these games in a way is that you do have some choice, but it's very linear as well. Like Krabby, I really like the fact that you can try to put these murders together. I've always been, you know, I've talked about my household before. My wife and I love watching Dateline and these like murder shows. And I just finished season two of Hunter, which is about the FBI in the late 70s, early 80s, tracking down serial killers. I've always, I've always just have a, had a fascination with crime shows. So that part of it's interesting to me and doing the investigation. But I guess one of the things that kind of bothers me, and I'll let you guys talk about this too, is the fact that you're investigating up until a certain point. You don't have a set amount of time where you can investigate, you basically investigate until you find all the clues. To me, that eliminates a lot of freedom. It eliminates a lot of gamesmanship, if that makes sense. Because what if you went into the trial without all the clues? Wouldn't that make the game a little more interesting if you had like a certain time limit to find certain things? I think that could really like bottleneck the trial process. And it, mm -hmm. for me, it would have led to a lot of game overs. And I actually was watching a review for one of the games today. And the reviewer said, after a certain amount of time, the trial starts. And it's like, no, that's not exactly true for right. what, you ex what you just said. But that's what Monokuma says, too, after a certain amount of time. That's that's what he says. Right. right? But you're actually, you, like you said, you're just triggering it by clicking on the right things. So... I used a walkthrough, so it doesn't matter to me. Um, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but if I was playing the game conventionally, I think I would still prefer it the way it is for why I just said. Because if you got in the trial and you if you were missing pieces, unless they had some like really clever way for you to work around, I guess it would be like um, speech check in an RPG. Like you just wouldn't have certain options open to you kind of thing, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Or maybe a clue you didn't find and it could maybe send you back to the investigation stage, you know, for a little bit longer or something like that. You know, that might might have been sort of another option. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really love the creativeness of all these murders. They're really done well. I mean, the people that came up with these murders the intricacy of them it, it's it's fantastic i mean it, it's it's incredible gotten away with that we don't know about. <laughs> right. i know right i mean have any of these come from any true stories or anything like that like how do they do their research for this stuff it's really fascinating i can say the same thing for both games i don't think there was 
one that I was really disappointed in. But uh, I don't know, Krabby. What do you think about what I've said about the investigation? I mean, do you do you like it the way it is? Or I do. I I wasn't, I guess, looking for it to be a game. Like I, I kind of understood right away that it was trying to tell a narrative and that it was uh, like yeah. a visual novel style. So. I was just going with the flow and letting it tell its story. And, and I wasn't really worried that I didn't have those extra controls that I would in a lot of other types of games. Yeah. I, I guess I never really thought about it being a visual novel, which is kind of strange. It's a lot more interactive than most visual novels. Yeah. It's definitely a new take on it. Yeah. And, and something I didn't mention that I started playing this month. And I know our friend Tom is going to be really happy to hear this, but I actually popped in Steins Gate and started playing it. And that's completely just narrative driven as far as i can see so far there's no options of gameplay in that at all so very interesting and that's usually how i think of a visual novel and i think i'm incorrect for feeling that way about it so yeah but let's get into the trial sean mentioned that there's these different types of games that you have to play during the trial so i'd like to talk about those for a little bit in the trial, you have these things called truth bullets, which are these either phrases or words that you're actually firing at things that people are saying as a means of refuting what they're saying. And sometimes, which I got kind of twisted up on sometimes, you're actually agreeing with what they're saying to confirm it and support their idea of what happened during the murder. So... There are some additional things. There's uh, something called the nonstop debate, uh, the rebuttal showdown, and also the logic drive, which are three things that were added to the second game, which I you know, think we should definitely point out and talk about. So just want to hear you guys' thoughts on the trials. Is there anything as far as the games are concerned that you liked or didn't like or you know, kind of what your favorites and least favorites were? I think the point that they added an intermission to the second one, like should have been a hint that maybe this is too long because they, yeah, they were very well paced in the first game, I thought. And it's yeah. a little too much of everything in the second game. Yeah, you're right. There is a break. There's an intermission where you can actually save, which thank goodness. I'm glad, you know, because if I would have messed up toward the end of the first part and had to do it all over again, it'd been fairly frustrating. When you do mess up, because I messed up a lot in the second game, you, you do get a chance to, continue yes or no and you continue from the last thing you failed at. you don't have to go okay. all the way back to a checkpoint or anything so there's not a big penalty as long as you don't accidentally click no i don't want to continue okay interesting sean i know used a walkthrough for this game and i'll admit i used a bit of a walkthrough as well i always tried it first myself and if i got frustrated and couldn't figure something out i'd pop onto the walkthrough figure out how to do that certain piece and then move on and you know keep continuing doing what i was doing but, um, you know, we we're talking about these truth bullets. There's another part, too, where you click on certain phrases and you hold down, you know, in this case, um, I was playing on the Vita. I don't know what you guys were playing on. I'm sure Sean was on the Vita. Yeah, I was Vita as well. If you hold down triangle on some of the words, you can actually pull that word into your truth bullets and then fire it at another phrase, which... It just gets rather confusing. So I'm interested to hear how you guys dealt with some of that. Yeah. So in the first game, I like I didn't play either of these with the walkthrough. And in the first game, I'd make the odd mistake um, or I'd just uh, there'd be two or three like red herrings and, and that you purposely maybe that works. And, and but I never actually 
had a failing moment in the first game. Whereas the second game, I hit that continue button like probably 20 times, maybe more. Yeah. There, there were so many errors in some of the truth bullet sections. You'd just have like eight options to put into your chamber. And then you'd also have like another eight options. Some of them could be um, contradictions and some of them could be agreements. So you, it was just too many options that were there. I was really having trouble figuring out which one was the correct one that the game wanted. Yeah. Because um, sometimes they, they really didn't seem obvious. Uh, even after the fact, knowing it, they seemed a little out there. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, don't, I think a lot of it was not very instinctive. You kind of know what they're looking for, but it's not always very clear, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, very good point. Um, I did want to talk for a minute, as I mentioned before, about uh, the nonstop debate, the rebuttal showdown, and the logic drive, which were three that were added to the second game. The nonstop debate, that was really strange for me. There's a phase where the other person is talking, and you're using this mechanic with your thumbstick and um, the X button on, on the Vita, in this case, to cut through all the words. You only get so many slashes, unless... You know, you've got something that's aiding you, which, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about later. You can actually get these different abilities that you, you can add. And Krabby, were you, weren't you saying that you didn't know you could add those abilities before the uh, the trial? <laughs> well, they, they function different. In the first game, when you start uh, spending your free time with somebody and you're, you're working your way up their, like, friendship meter, you, you earn abilities as you are going up every like three to six because uh, you can do quite a bit in the first game. Mm -hmm. And everybody caps out at six um, in the second game. And I, when I did that originally, I got an ability. So I thought that was the only way to get abilities was you max out somebody's meter. Right. And then I found out after I had finished the entire game when I was playing the <laughs> island mode afterwards that you can just spend those hope fragments on abilities anytime you want. That was just me just assuming the second game was a lot like the first game when it, it made changes. Yeah, and just to mention the hope fragments, each character you can collect six hope fragments for, and this is the second game, and each one you can actually spend it uh, to gain abilities prior to the trial. It can be anything for adding more time, slowing down the words that come across the screen, you're not taking as much damage when you miss... Uh, you know, there's different types of things that can aid you. I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't find much of a difference in, you know, whether they helped or not. And, uh, you know, Kelsey, I guess you probably didn't either because, <laughs> I mean, you, you actually made it through the game without spending any of these hope fragments. So, Sean, was this something that you relied on quite a bit in the games? No, you know what's weird? I, I actually armed some of the abilities in the second game and then I either forgot or didn't understand how to use them. I think I got a little bit further than Kelsey in realizing that you had to use the fragments to purchase them and assign them for each trial. But then like I didn't need them or didn't think to, or didn't know how. So I ended up never using them. So, Oh, plus I was, I was playing on the easiest difficulties. Like, so like you were saying, limited number of slashes for the rebuttal challenge. I think there, it's like unlimited if you play on easy. And there's like a whole bunch of mm -hmm. little things like that that, uh, you know, makes it easier. So, 
yeah, apparently you can just press X to slash. You don't have to push the directional thumbstick for that like you do in the harder versions of the game. That was kind of my understanding of that part, you know, with the nonstop debate. Oh, I was I actually used the D-pad. I didn't realize you could use X. Uh, so Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Neat. If you just press X, then it'll, you know, just slash through everyone. But to mention it, when you get to the second part of that non-debate stage... That took me a while to figure out, especially the first round. I, I couldn't figure out. I'm like, well, how do I do this? But then there will be like some words that come up in that round. And what you have to do is you can continue to slash through the other statements if you want to. But when you get to a certain one that's false, you press the triangle button to cut through the word. And what that does is basically gets you to cut through their argument and to make your point. And that's sort of the purpose of the nonstop debate uh, and how to win that. The rebuttal showdown was interesting. And from what I remember from the first game, there was something sort of similar. Kelsey and uh, Sean, you guys are probably a little more familiar with that. Uh, the Hangman's Gambit. It was in yeah, both games. Okay. They, they had just like made it more active in the second game. There was a lot more letters flying on screen. Yeah. And uh, it was sort of a game where you could actually move the letters around too, you know, to uh, so they wouldn't hit each other and you would lose life if different letters hit each other. And there was always a phrase that they were looking for that you had to spell out, which very interesting concept. But probably the one that was the most different was the logic drive, which was basically a snowboarding type game. Yeah. It's too extreme. Well, I have in my notes it's Sonic Riders. <laughs> <laughs> because when it when that first came up, uh and it's logic dive, Rich. I don't mean to correct you, but you keep saying logic drive. Oh, no, thank you. It's yeah, dive. It is dive. But um when it first came up, it's like, why the hell am I doing a snowboarding game right now? It was really weird, but yeah. Dude, these mini games, like I can't decide if I like them or don't like them. I have a really weird thing with this game, and I guess I, I'm going to have to enunciate this in my final thoughts, but like you really got to just go for the ride with this game. If you got to sign up for it, you know what I mean? Like Yeah. But the logic dive is totally new to Danganronpa 2. There was nothing like that in the first game. Yeah, I'm kind of like you as well. These mini games are I don't know. I mean, I knew what I was getting into playing the second one. I played the first one before, and I guess for me, the mini games weren't so off-putting because I enjoy the story. I enjoy the setup and the, you know, the complexity of the murders and things like that and trying to figure out what's going on and where it's all going to lead to. But the games themselves are rather off-putting. I just want to be Perry Mason and come into the courtroom and make the person on the stand just weep and uh, be that investigator and that attorney all in one. That's kind of how I feel, and the games are a bit distracting, you know? I like them early in the game, and just the more we get in, they just felt too monotonous and not fun. Just wanted to get through them back yeah. to the trial stuff i did really like the look of the nonstop debate though even though i was i like you i had a lot of trouble like especially early in the game figuring out when that sword needed to come down and stuff but it was really cool visually to see both the characters like side profiles yelling at each other and having the bar <laughs> move back and forth if yeah they're slicing the right words or not like that looked really neat but yeah the same thing like by the end of the game i didn't really need that anymore there is one you don't have written down on here that I, I did enjoy, though, was the, the climax when you're putting together the uh, like comic book panels. 
I did like that in the first game, but I liked it better in the second game. That's maybe the one improvement that I enjoyed from two to one. It was easier to do, which normally is simplified is not a bad thing. Um, it was just fun to like lay the whole murder out and just see it play out in this really cool stylized um, art style that they had for it. I agree. I thought it was much better done in the second game than it was in the first. I thought it was a, a lot more intuitive for one. A lot of times the pictures didn't seem to match up in the first game as much. You know, you're just kind of, uh, yeah, just tossing something out there. <laughs> There's like, here's 20 options, fit them all in. And in the second game, they're like, here's five. Only two or three of them are the correct ones, and the other ones are red herrings. So you had less options to screw up with. Yeah. How did you feel about that part, Sean? I like the comic panel thing in the second game. That was improved. What I thought was not improved was the Hangman's Gambit, if we can go back to that for a second. I thought that was so annoying. I enjoyed the one in the first game much more uh, because, first of all, some of the words, I would just get so annoyed when it was like, okay, the word is like plug on air conditioner. And that, that wasn't one of them, but it's like a really long ass word and you got to wait for the right letters to come in and you got to match two of them and then you got to plug it in. And it's just like, it got very tedious with these like long words. And then sometimes it's like, where's the letter that I need? Like, come on, the game knows that I need this letter, spit it out, you know? And if they crash into each other and your letters explode, then you got to wait for some yep, others to yep. come. And it's 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 so yeah. frantic, too. I mean, you're trying to figure out what the phrase or the word is, and that's tough enough. But then you've got all this stuff going on around you. It's really frustrating. I agree. Yeah, I know they were trying to spice it up a little bit. But I think the first game where the letters just kind of bubble up onto the screen and you pick them, it was just simpler. But I think that made it better. And the other thing we missed was the rhythm game kind of section. So on easy mode, I know it's it's different, but it's like shields are floating around whoever you're accusing and you have to tap to a mini game to like deteriorate their shields until their shields go down. And then you can give your final response, which I forget how you do that in the first game, but in the second game, you tap in order like a phrase that's four syllables or four words yeah that is kind of like your ultimate mic dropping slam dunk moment of proof and moment of truth uh to put that person away so i tend to like rhythm games i was a little annoyed with like the accuracy of the button pressing in the second game i remember it being better in the first game but mm -hmm. I mean, I got no problem with a rhythm game usually, so that part was like, okay, I could just tap to the beat on this for a couple <laughs> seconds. That's pretty cool. So Yeah. I mean, I like all the games enough. They all have sort of their good points, and I think overall the package is pretty good, but... You know, and, and I wanted to discuss something that uh, Kelsey brought up was the length to these trials. I felt that the second game was way more drawn out. It's like, okay, I have to figure all this stuff out. I have to do all these rebuttals, play all these games. Oh, okay, now I have to put pieces of a storybook together of what we've already gone over. And then, okay, I have to play this rhythm game and then do the slam dunk on this person. And then we have to get to the scene where we vote. And, you know, the second game, you don't have to choose someone at the very end of the trial. You have to do that a little bit earlier. 
But the first game I remember at the end, you even have to pick who you think the murderer is where you've already decided who it is. You already know. So why do you even have to pick? It just seems like there's so much of this game, not only in the trial part, but even in the, you know, the build up, the investigation that the dialogue just loops a lot and it just seems very padded, you know? Yeah, padded's a perfect word. Do you have an example? Like in the, I think it was chapter four when kills. Uh, Spoiler. Y- y- like everybody <laughs> knows it's at a certain point in the investigation. And you still have like 45 minutes of dialogue after that of him trying to defend himself somehow. Like it seems really unnecessary and stuff like that happened a lot. In the yeah. Game. Yeah. This is what led me, unfortunately, to just scrubbing through tons and tons of dialogue in, in the second game. Now, the first game, I played it on my own time. There was no schedule. I wasn't trying to make the podcast, you know, so even though I gave up on the gameplay pretty quickly and use a walkthrough, I didn't skip a single dialogue box in the first game. In the second game, I probably skipped through like 75% of the game just by holding the circle button. And I had a few similar experiences to what you just described, Krabby, where it's like somebody will say something like, Oh, I bet you didn't know I had that shoe missing. And I'm just making up making up an example. And I'll scrub through dialogue for like five minutes. And when I go back in, it's like, yeah, but his shoe was missing. You know, and it's like, they're still f- talking about this. Are you serious? You know, so. Yeah, I, I felt like the first game had more confidence that the player wasn't an idiot and could figure things out. In the second game, they had to spell it out four or five times, make sure they really nailed the point in. Yeah, that's a good point. And and speaking of dialogue, one of the neat things about the second game, and I, I can't remember if this was in the first or not, so you guys may be able to shed some light on it, was that you could actually go back and look at the dialogue if you needed to. And uh, sometimes I would get distracted with my kids or something. And I did go through all the dialogue. I I tried to skim it and go as fast as I could through it. But uh, if I did miss something, I could go back and actually read the dialogue. The script is uh, down for you if you want to look at it. So that was kind of nice. I don't think that was in the first one. I do remember that from the second one. Yeah, I don't remember the first either. But but like I said, of course, you guys have played it a lot more recently than I did.
so uh, yeah, we talked about the length, especially the second game. And uh, I remember when I announced that I wanted to play this game, Sean was like, yeah, let's do it. And then on our last podcast, Sean said, yeah, this is going to be a lot longer than what we usually play. You know, yeah. and I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I did. I didn't realize. I didn't even look at the runtime because I remember playing the first game. And I was like, "Oh yeah, it's probably about twenty hours or so." But man, yeah, this one was uh, long. I mean, I think I probably spent probably two hours in a lot of the trials. I mean, you really had to commit when you played this game. You had to make sure that you had time set aside to be able to finish certain places where you couldn't save. You know? Yeah. No, like, because I, I play these at work a lot when I have downtime. And with the first game, it was nice because I know, like, I could do a chapter at work. Whereas this one, it was like, I could do a quarter of a chapter at work sometimes. <laughs> yeah. These are the only two games I've played. I'm assuming the same for both of you. I think that's correct. So, you know, kind of be curious as far as uh, what kind of adjustments they made to the later games. And if length is still backer, though, you know, Danganronpa 2 is usually considered the best game in this series from a lot of people who uh, review these games or, you know, fans of the series. So I have no problem with long games either. Just it felt like a lot of the content was bloated and repetitive. Yeah, definitely agree. Let's talk a little bit about movement in these two games. Uh, I think it was rather different in the first game. You're confined to a school, so you're not out running around outside. And then in the second game, you're actually running around an island. It was kind of odd for me at first. I, I wasn't really into it when I played the second game at the beginning, but then once I got used to it, it became very intuitive and I, I thought it was kind of a neat mechanic. Yeah, I wrote on the forum, it's it's just like Atlas's best game. And Krabby, what's Atlas's best game? All of them. True. It's, it's, it's Jack Bros for the virtual world. Uh, you're close. The correct answer is Friday the 13th for the NES. Um, <laughs> that That's actually a rare game. I thought it was developed by Atlas. I thought Rare did that. Okay, corrections for next month. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. Head to head. Crab Master against the Great Ghost. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's exactly what we have here. You're running back and forth on a two-dimensional plane with doorways on the far side and the near side. And then the map is, uh, you know, a two-dimensional flat map. So it's... Exactly the same as Friday the 13th on the NES, and I love it. You schooled me on NES trivia. I just looked it up. It was Atlas. Yeah. Nice. Win for the home team. Sorry, Duke. I can get behind you again now, Sean. Ever since that Detroit model comment, you know, it's been Uh, hard to get behind you again. That was a good one. Well, I'm glad that I've redeemed myself. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you guys knew, but Monokuma was an underwear model before he did Duncan Rumpel. <laughs> I'd buy those underwear. Uh, so I actually liked the movement around the islands. Like I took to it like right away because of that. I'm like, I'm not even kidding. It sounds like I'm making a joke, but it's just like Friday the 13th. It's awesome. <laughs> And there are some parts that are like the original game. I would compare the original game to like a dungeon crawler. You've got that first person perspective, 
There's a few places in this game as well where you do have that kind of freedom of movement, but I do like that they mix it up a little bit. I was afraid I was going to get a little bit lost and confused in this game, but nope, that never happened. All in all, the map is really not that huge. It's just the game's just so filled with dialogue, you know? Yeah, and it opens the islands per chapter. We should say in the first game, it opens floors of the school per chapter, so... Chapter one, first floor, chapter two, second floor, and so on. And you can travel freely between those floors to whatever extent the story allows. And with the second game, it's the same with the island. So the first island is open at first, and then the rest of them open as you get through each case. Very good point. And just want to mention, too, that in the second game, uh, at one point you revisit the original school, which is a very interesting twist. And, uh, you know, for people that had not played the first game, I, I don't know. I think you're better off if you play the first game before playing the second game, because I think there's some stuff that reflects back to that original game that you might miss out on a bit if you play the second game first, right? In that last chapter, big time. Yeah, and I think we had said, like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, I think you can just play the second game. But having played it now, it's like, that's definitely not true. I agree with you, Rich. You really should play them in order if you haven't played them yet. Absolutely. So, uh, other than these investigations, the free time, the trials... There's several collectibles in this game, and we spoke about the Hope Fragments, which you can collect socially. And in order to gain those Hope Fragments, you have to stop and talk with the different characters during their free time. If you're like me, if you talk to them, they usually die at the end (laughs) of that scene, and you lose all of that good faith that you've built up. Uh, But to obtain Hope Fragments, you have to not only talk to them, but you have to give them a gift. And this is in the form of collectibles that you get around the island. You earn Monokuma coins in both games. And you use those on vending machines. One of them is like the first game. It's just sort of... uh, I would compare it to those junk machines. Like when we were a kid that you would always like beg mom or dad for for like change so you could put it in those machines and you spin them around you'd get like this little toy in a plastic bubble those aren't just from when we were kids those are still big yeah i know i keep my kids away from them as much as i can but they're not as big as they were when we were kids not here you'd be surprised up here they're they're everywhere still yeah well i can't speak for canada you guys are so far behind (laughs) (laughs) i kid you're not far off he's a little laggy I'm curious to hear about the vending items and the collectibles and how you went about deciding what gifts to present because there were obviously gifts that were the correct gifts and gifts that were not the correct gifts. For me, this was something I didn't use the guide for and I I never got it right. I can't remember the first game what I did in that aspect, but in the second game... I ended up buying everything in the vending machine and multiples of everything in the vending machine so that I could feed my Tamagotchi. And then some of those things I used to try to win the favor of my classmates. But I think every time it was like, oh, is this for me? That's okay, I guess. You know, I would get that response or something like that. I'm pretty sure I didn't give anyone the right gift. There was one that was a camera, but 
the person you would think you would give a camera to, I think she was dead by then already, like by the time yeah. I had gotten it. So uh, there was stuff like that where it was never like right time, right place. So I don't think I ever got it right. What about you, Krabby? Uh, it was one of my favorite parts of the game, actually, both the games. Oh, um, cool. I, like I even save scummed the vending machines early on. And by chapter two, I had 100% of the <laughs> items in both the games. Um, and then a bunch of extras. And I, I had really good fortune um, figuring out what went to who, except for Nagito. And the second game, um, playing through afterwards, I went back and maxed out everybody's uh, social tree. Nagito, though, I'm like just staring at him and just could not figure out what to give him. <laughs> but throughout the course of the first and second game, I figured out that there's some freebie items. Like there's these class rings. You can give the class ring to anybody and it's a positive gift. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a few of those kind of things to give him, but then I had to figure out for the last two or three, like what the heck does this guy want? And it was just trial and error <laughs> to figure it out. I think the second game was a little more lenient in what you could give the other person. Because the first game, it was very specific as far as, like, you wanted to have something that related to what their ultimate talent was, right? And you tried to do that in both games. But I just remember in the second game, like, they would say something like, if you gave them something and they weren't really keen on it, they would say, oh, you know, I guess I'll take this or whatever. But you would still get credit for it, and you would still get your hope fragment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Here's how I think it works. I'm not 100% sure, but I think there's, like, five items or so per character that will move you up a level and i think two of them are like extremely happy responses and the other three are just mild tempered responses but still mm-hmm. positive responses gotcha that's my theory i mean i felt like if i didn't know what to give somebody i could always just give them food yeah and that would work it did seem like there were some food items that were like those rings yeah 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 exactly now there were some items that you couldn't give them not just the ones that you would get from completing the chapters that would but it would say oh you can't use this item it's not a usable item or something like that it was really yeah, strange story item. which i didn't understand i mean i didn't see where i used it anywhere in the story but i guess it is what it is but uh yeah it, it was a very interesting dynamic and I, but i think the first game was a lot more stringent than the second game because if you didn't get it right in the first game it would just kick you out and you would not gain any rapport with that character at all uh but the the second game i think like i said you could just use like some food or something like that would be okay so yeah that was interesting and we want to say once you gathered all the hope fragments each character had a sort of special ability that you would get that you could use during the trial, which is nice. And you also got a set of undergarments, which I know our good friend Crabmaster was really, really ecstatic about. Screenshot it all. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, the other collectible in the game was the Monokuma, which was very, very interesting. Did you guys go for all those? Did you collect them all? I tried to, but I missed two. Yeah, I missed a couple as well, despite them being in the walkthrough that I was reading. I don't know. how I missed one in the first chapter, so <laughs> I'm not sure how. I did get most of them. And that's that's how I was able to buy everything in the vending machine like four times over, because I think you get 10 coins for every one of those that you find, which is pretty lucrative. So if you find most of them, that's a lot of it's a lot of coin. Yeah, there's uh, five per chapter, and then there's, I think the hardest ones for me to find were on the last chapter, and I had to use a guide because I missed one, but I actually went back and uh, reset that chapter at a save point just because I wanted to try to get them all. (laughs) I know, I know. 
I got that trophy though, man. I got that trophy. Nice. So yeah, it's all for the gold, baby. All right. Well, um, we mentioned the Tamagotchi, so I guess we got to talk about that for just a minute. Is this something you guys liked in the game? It was in that kind of buried menu system as well. It took me a little while to figure it out. But it was um, basically an egg that would, you know, hatch just like a normal Tamagotchi. And then there were two meters, a hope meter and a despair meter. And you had to clean up poop, which is very Japanese. <laughs> and then you also had to give gifts in the form of your vending items to raise your hope and actually counteracted the despair and remove that. If you got all your hope all the way up uh, and your Tamagotchi did not die, then you got a lot of Monokuma coins and you got some special abilities as well. Uh, so that was kind of nice. I don't know. What you guys think about this addition to the game? Yeah, I thought it was cool. I The first one I had died because I didn't really understand what was going on. I didn't get it. Yeah, so. The first one died, but then when I realized, like we should say in the game, it counts your steps if you don't use fast travel. You can run, but so long as you are traversing the game on foot by walking or running, it actually counts your steps. And when you hit certain thresholds, your pet will hatch out of the egg or it will hit a certain stage of growth. And so throughout my playthrough, I had the first one die and then I successfully raised two more and then i was on my fourth one when the game ended uh but i thought it was again just a neat little diversion like because you start with an egg and there's all different kinds of animals so it's kind of like a cute little thing like oh what kind of animal am i gonna get you know so yeah it didn't feel tacked on to me i mean it felt like you know just something fun to do while you're playing the game you could ignore it if you wanted to it wasn't something you had to do yeah yeah good enough Kelsey killed them all. I <laughs> I'm not a fan of it. It's just something I didn't need there. Once I got the Monokuma coins, I spent them all on my vending items. And then once I had those maxed out, there was no benefit to me doing it, really. But I still felt compelled to not let it die. So I had to clean poops every, like, before I started every new section of a chapter, which was just frustrating. Yeah. So we talked a little earlier about the graphics, so I just wanted to kind of get you guys' take on what you thought about this presentation. Like, as we mentioned, the game is like super, super anime. It's very Japanese, and it's very colorful uh, as a result. And one of the things I really like about the game is that a lot of the things have this like flat art style. There's a good mix of like the visual novel aspects of it, the anime character portraits and the dialogue text boxes. But then as Rich uh, noted before, there is three dimensional first person movement, but it's kind of kept to a minimum in the second game. And then in that three dimensional movement, the characters that you interact with look like cardboard cutouts, which I think is just kind of a neat flourish. And when you talk to them, yeah. it kind of like shoots this projectile at them and they bob back and forth when you hit it. It's, it's, not, it's not an action or a gameplay element in any way. It's just this little graphical flourish that they put in. I think that this game actually, and Krabby, you'll probably agree with this, the presentation of the game as far as menu-wise and, and just layout-wise and UI-wise reminded me a lot of Persona 4 because of all the yellow I really liked it. The whole game is really like eye-catching 
And that's one of the things that kind of kept me going through it. Really, at a certain point in two, I thought I was going to quit the game. But just, you know, being able to play the Vita, I love the Vita so much that even a game that I'm not sincerely enjoying that much is worth playing to have that beautiful machine in my hands. So, um, (laughs) but also the visual presentation and we'll get into the music. That too was part of it, but yeah, Krabby, I don't know. What do you think about the graphics? I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. The only negative I really have to say about the graphics is the, the murders after the trials I thought looked real dumb. But all of the 2D stuff and, like you said, the cardboard cutout kind of characters. And I mentioned earlier when they're doing the uh, rebuttal showdowns and stuff, like there's a lot of really cool flourishes they do that keep it uh, fresh and exciting and vibrant. And because it's it's anime, like it gets really wacky sometimes. And like a character turns into a robot all of a sudden. <laughs> and like th- there's some really fun, bizarre stuff that, that I just thought looked amazing. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I love the way everything's drawn. And uh, they really capture the essence of the quirkiness of these characters in the artwork, I think. And uh, I think it's one of the things that keeps me going and playing these games is just not really the artwork, but the characters, you know what i mean they're so interesting they're so fun they have their own like quirky personalities and i think that says a lot not only about the artwork but the combination of that and also the voice acting i feel like it's just a great combination they do do such a great job with both of these games other than the crime stories which i really love a lot i feel like it's the characters that like keep me wanting to come back to these games and maybe want to play the second game for the playthroughs and kind of share these games with everyone. Yeah, the characters are fantastic. And there's so many of them that I, even <laughs> if you don't love all of them, there should be at least a few that you can latch on to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just curious for you guys. Did you play with the English dub or the Japanese dub? And I I played with English on both games, but I've heard the Japanese dub is, is really, really... Like, the English dub is very good. But I've heard the Japanese dub is very, very good. So I'm curious. Did you guys play them in English? I played in English. Yeah, I played both in English as well. And I was pleasantly surprised with all the voice acting in both games. I thought it was really well done. Yep, very good.
So speaking of voice acting and sound, let's talk about the music in the game. Sean, you seem to be rather excited to speak about that, so I'll let you go first. I think the music in both games is really great. The one thing, though, is they reused a lot of the music in the second game from the first game, which is not it's not a huge problem, but it's it actually, I think, led to the fatigue, uh, so to speak, of playing the second game so close to the first game that made it feel like kind of more of the same in not the greatest way. However, it's not bad music. It's like I'm not complaining about the music itself. Uh, it's just that they reused a lot of it. But it's so good <laughs> that you can kind of get over it. What we're describing to people who have never played, it's a very dark game, all these murder mysteries and everything. But it really is like a bright and sunny game on when you're on the island. And the music plays right into that. It's so nice and pleasant, the overworld yeah. music, so to speak. But then when things get intense, the music gets intense. And when things get funny, like Monokuma's theme song is so great. I also like uh, Monami's theme song as well. It's in my head right now. I almost want to sing it. Um, But yeah. Please do. It's so good. (laughs) Yeah, man. When you mentioned the music and uh, you were kind of getting a little positive about it a few minutes ago, I was like, oh, man, Sean and I are going to butt heads on this one. We're definitely not going to agree on the music. Oh, no. But I think what you just said kind of softened me a little bit on the music. I didn't have a problem with the music. I thought it was fine. But I completely agree with you. It was just so repetitive. And I I definitely noticed, even though it's been a a year since I played the first game, I even noticed that they reused that same music as well without having to go back. And I agree. It really adds to the fatigue of playing this game. And it would have been nice to have something a little fresher. But... I can't say what was presented was bad. Do you know what I mean? So I I think you and I actually kind of agree on that. How about you, Krabby? I didn't even notice they reused music. And I was, (laughs) the word I was thinking of while you were just talking about the second game was it's, for me, it was forgettable. And it was so forgettable, I didn't even realize they reused it apparently. So yeah, it just didn't make an impression on me. I didn't find it grating. I didn't find it wonderful. It it was just kind of there. I think it blends into the background nicely. You know what I mean? I mean, it, yeah, you just don't pay it any attention, really. But I mean, after so long, you have to notice it. And playing both games, you know, definitely um, they reused music. So the more jarring stuff, like the Monokuma theme and the Usami theme and stuff, like definitely those ones I, I remember. But yeah, they stand out for sure. The rest of the game, like yeah, it just didn't make an impression on me. All three of us played on the Vita. Do you guys play with headphones? No. Yes, uh, about 50-50 for me. When I'm at home, I had the headphones on because I have noisy children. When Mm -hmm. I was at work, I got to listen for things at work, so I keep them off. Okay. If I'm playing a handheld that's headphones 100% of the time, I'd rather not be playing than not using headphones. So I think that might play into why I have a stronger opinion of the music than you guys. Uh, Plus, I actually have no knowledge of like the production of the music in this game, but it sounds like very, very well recorded. And even that Island Overworld theme that I was talking about almost sounds like it has live drums in it. It probably doesn't, but it 
almost sounds like real instruments, like some of the tracks. So I thought that was very impressive because even if it's electronic, it sounds very convincing and very crisp and just really well produced. I did like Ibuki's music, though. It was pretty fantastic. Oh, yeah. You know what's funny? I actually took a screen cap of that. I took a lot of screen caps of this game, and I haven't had a chance to transfer them, but I wanted to tweet, like, I would unironically listen to Ibuki's music. I actually really <laughs> liked her her song that was supposed to be so bad, but, yeah, that, that scene was very funny. All right. Well, that's probably the longest we've ever talked about music in a game. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait till uh, next month. uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to just talk a minute about the unlockable games after you finish. Just want to hit on those real quick. There's two. uh, One's called Magical Miracle Girl Monomi, and the other is Island Mode. And uh, there's kind of a storybook mode, too, which I didn't do because it's rather boring and just kind of recap the entire story. I didn't even think it was worth it to go through, even for a trophy. It's actually a side story. It's not a recap. Really? Yeah. It, it's, uh, you remember, I think it was Mukuro from the first game? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, she, I think she plays a part in, in the side story that they've run through there. Uh, okay. Well, interesting. I, I played it for a little while and just seemed like a... A basic recap, so uh, yeah, I kind of put it down, so that's very interesting. I, I just didn't want to go through that just for, I don't even know if you get a trophy for it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> was it even worth it to me? But uh, I do want to talk about the other two. Sean, I know Krabby played the Unlockable Games. Did you get to play any of those? Yeah, I played a little bit of the Magical Girl Monami one. I didn't think it was that great, but I tried it and I... I wanted to do island mode, but man, I was so burnt out on the game that when it was done, I just needed to put it down for a while, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, Kelsey? I totally agree that Magical Girl Monobie is just nothing to talk about. It's it's just a little wave tower defense kind of thing that just yeah. made, made no impact on me either. Um, but island mode, I totally get being burnt out i thought it was like if you ever want to go back to this game i'd say go back to island mode it was really fun um just really relaxing compared to everything else and that's where i was able to go back and max out all of the uh, hope fragments with with every character i did that too yep because it's like an alternate version of the game where monokuma doesn't get to do his thing and everyone has a happy time on the island like gathering resources and making crafts with each other (laughs) Which sounds weird, like not fun, but yeah. you're you're like it's got this cool management system where you're sending your different characters off to like either clean up the island or go to different parts of the island to collect different materials, and then once you've gathered all the materials, you can craft them into things that'll help uh, revive your characters or use them to make the crafts that you've been tasked to make. And I just thought it was a lot of fun. I actually played through it twice. Oh, nice. I, I wasn't as crazy about the whole crafting part of it, but I did go through it to get all the hope fragments, you know, with everyone. And uh, I, I did enjoy that aspect of being able to do that. I went through it about one and a half times. And after I got all the hope fragments, I got a little burnout. And I was kind of like, I don't know if there's anything else to do here, if it's worth my time. But I kept finding myself going back to it over and over again i'm like why am i still doing this and finally i just had to say you know what enough's enough and and just put it down <laughs> but uh yeah i agree about the uh magical miracle girl monomi uh not a lot of fun weird mechanic where you had to kind of run around in a circle to blow stuff up it's 
very, very strange game. I think the biggest reason that Kelsey didn't like it is because he didn't beat it the first time through like I did. Uh, so I, 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 I do want I do want to mention that. I thought you it said you did. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Monomy, I beat first. Dang, man. I thought I had an edge up on you there for a second. Dang. Oh, God. <laughs> You're still a better gamer than me. Only one of you oh, gets geez. to embarrass me once per podcast. The Atlas Rare. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd say worth checking out, but the island mode was definitely my favorite of you know the three extra things you could do. So. All right. Well, it's that time. Let's go ahead and get into final thoughts. And Sean, since you went through all of the dialogue, I'm going to let you talk about the ending of the game. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was actually thinking we haven't spoiled too much. I don't know. Should we go through the ending of the game and just run through and spoil everything at this point? Hmm. It's a good point. Let's not. Let's keep it vague. Yeah, if anybody's listening who hasn't played these games, you've made it this far. Like, we've made it this far without... We haven't spoiled much. So, I mean, we can talk about our feelings of the endings in a non-spoilery way, I think, you know, rather than just letting it all out. I totally agree. Let's do that. All right. Kelsey, you want to go first? Sure. So, yeah, not being spoilery, I have this bad habit. It's actually a good habit, I think. Where when I play a Japanese game, I forget every single time that the last chapter is going to get absolutely bonkers and ridiculous <laughs> and make no sense. And I have Just no idea what's here. going yeah, And it always surprises me. And I don't know why because I've done it like a hundred times now. Uh, so, yeah, it just kept getting weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder and then eventually made sense. Um, but still having a really wacky ending. So, it, it kept me interested right up until the end it pulled so much from the first and just in that last chapter that i was very surprised like i I really think you need to play that first game to to get 90 percent of what happened in the last chapter of this game but it was cool to see them tie together i like the worlds that they're creating um and there's so many questions outside of the island and outside of the school you've played in that I, I kind of craving more. I'm not ready to jump into another one yet, but I but I'm not done with this series because I I'm curious to learn more about what's going on with with the rest of the world. Um, so yeah, they they hooked me. Even though I've got some issues with this game, I'm I'm still interested, and I like some of the characters that survived in both games. So if either of them make returns, I'd I'd be happy to see that too. Very good. How about you, Sean? Uh, for me, the ending of the first game was like a super satisfying really good ending that left me feeling the kind of feelings at the end of a game that I really enjoy with some open-endedness and not just you know close it up put a bow on it happy ending kind of stuff like it was a very Japanese kind of ambiguous ending which I tend to really like with the second game the ending really did just kind of up the ante of the final scenes in a way that was kind of funny. They made references to JRPG tropes of final bosses, which was kind of funny in a certain way that I don't want to spoil. But the way, like Krabby was saying, like we've been saying, they throw back to the first game like really hard. And it didn't leave me nearly as happy that I played the game and satisfied with the ending. Again, I didn't hate it, but... Those same kind of feelings were coming up, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think the ending of the second game was 
kind of a way to link the two games together and to help create this world. But, you know, at the same time, I'm like you, I, I like the first ending better. I got to reiterate what Kelsey said, too. Every time I go into these damn games, I'm trying to figure out. I mean, you guys saw I put something on the website and, and Kelsey's like, dude, I'm just laughing at like what you put. When I watch movies, especially North American movies, I'm always trying to piece together and I'll watch them and I'll, I'll kind of figure out what's happening at the end. There is no way anyone could figure out what's going to happen at the end of these two games. I don't even try if you're playing these games. Just jump on for the ride and just enjoy it because you're not going to figure it out. It's too complex. And especially at the end of the second game, I was just sort of left wondering like, what? I still didn't really understand and wasn't able to put together. But, you know, having said that, still enjoyed the second game. I, I think maybe enjoyed the first one a little more. And I only say that because it was sort of a new experience to me. And, and it's hard for me to say that the first game is better than the second game, but I don't, I don't know. I guess having that fresh experience, I think I just liked it more. And as far as didn't feel as padded as the second game. And don't get me wrong, the first game is still rather long and you still get a lot of dialogue recycled but uh nowhere as much as you do in the second i did like the cast slightly better in the first game as well i think too okay interesting yeah we, we talked about that a little bit you thought the second game was a little pervy in spots you and i kind of uh went a little back and forth on that on the forum early so. on i definitely did but it lessened the further i got into the game like yeah chapter three onward there was like none of that stuff and I agree with you to a certain extent. I think there is definitely some fan service in the second game, especially. I don't know. I guess the word pervy is what <laughs> I kind of took an issue with. I think it's very adult. No doubt. There's a lot of adult humor in this game. This is not a game for kids whatsoever. Not that you would let your kids play murder games. Yeah. Like me letting my kids watch me play Doom and Saints Row the Third. But at the same time, you know, I... <laughs> I, I see what you're saying, and I definitely understand what you're saying. And like I said, I, I believe it's fan service, and I just feel like it's kind of like these games are just, you know, kind of made for adults. It's, it's a little more adult humor. Pervy was probably uh, not the best word I should have used. It, it was just something off-putting for me. I, I, sure. I, I by no means think it makes it a bad game by having that kind of stuff in there, or that it shouldn't be in there. It just doesn't appeal to me how it was used. I mean, definitely spots in there that, you know, definitely raised an eyebrow for me. I was like, oh, like, if, okay. If they just cut Teru yeah. Taro out of the game, I think most of my issues would be solved. I just really hated that character specifically. And I was happy with how quickly he was removed from the picture. You definitely have an issue with salad on the crotch, huh? <laughs> you, you send a pic of that to your, your friend and uh, see if that would have changed his mind earlier in life. <laughs> <laughs> I just put that together. Uh, any thoughts on that, Sean, or any final thoughts for you? Yeah, I guess if it's cool, like I'll just roll into my final thoughts and we'll start going on that. Um, sure. So this is kind of weird because the way I've been talking about, especially the second game, it probably sounds like I didn't enjoy it at all, but that's really not true. And it's kind of strange I don't think I've been ever been in a situation where I can recommend a pair of games so highly when I got a strange mixture of enjoyment and frustration out of them. You know what I mean? Like 
these games are really kind of not for me because I don't like these kind of murder mystery. Well, it's not that I don't like murder mysteries. It's just that I don't like game logic and adventure game kind of logic, you know, like yeah. when I played the first game, I made it through like the first chapter and halfway through the second chapter before I got so frustrated that I, I started using a walkthrough. With the second game, I used a walkthrough the whole time because I knew I didn't feel like trying to quote unquote solve these murders because I don't like the game logic and it's very tricky to me in these games. Having said that, like the games do what they're trying to do very well. And if you're into this kind of thing, like I've, I've never played any of the Ace Attorney games, but I have to imagine I've seen enough footage of them that they look similar enough that if you if you like Ace Attorney Phoenix Wright games that you probably like this. It's just a really twisted version of it, you know. Um, yeah. So for my final thoughts, it's like <laughs> the first game, I, I wouldn't say like I loved it, but I liked it to a great degree the second game seemed like more of the same and it really burned me out trying to just get through it for this podcast and it was one of the most long-winded games i've ever played in my life that's coming from a metal gear solid fan (laughs) so (laughs) take that for what it's worth but still i think this is a great series and like crabby i think i'm eventually going to play the third game but rich i'm going to take your advice that you posted on the forum which i thought was really good advice is to wait two years in between playing these games i had that written down for my final thoughts okay i'm I'm sorry to i didn't mean to steal your thunder on that but that that was more thunder baby that, (laughs) that was such a good point because i mean I played the first one six months ago. You played the first one a year ago, and it's like it was too too soon, you know? There's certain mm-hmm. RPG series I only play like a, once a year or once every other year, so I think this falls into that, like that kind of category where it can be easy to burn yourself out on them. But if you're in to give it a try, and I'm glad we didn't spoil everything on this because I'm going to tell people to listen to this spoiler-free, and we can put that in the tweets and the show notes and everything because uh at the end of the day i speak highly of this series and both of these games well i'm just gonna piggyback off of you sean since uh you know you mentioned the two-year statement and also to let our guests express his final thoughts last i i do think that this is the type of game that waiting about two years between each is sort of the perfect time because it gives you enough time to <laughs> recuperate from the fluff of the first game, but then it also isn't enough time to where you forget what went on during the first game. I would compare these games to going to a concert when you're old. And yeah, I consider myself old. And what I mean by that is I'll go see bands that I love and I want to go see, but like when it hits like 10 o'clock, It gets to a point where I'm like, I'm so exhausted, you know, and if a band comes on super late, I'm like, I'm loving this music, but at some point I'm kind of like, I kind of want this to go ahead and be over so I can get home and get in the bed and sleep. That's how I feel about these games. And especially the second one, it's so padded and so drawn out that you're just like, okay, already enough. You know, I like these games. 
You know, like you said, Sean, I, I sound like I'm being negative about these games, and I'm not trying to be. I really enjoy playing these games. I really like the concept. I love the stories. I love the characters and a lot that's going on in these games. It's just, I guess, just the kind of the way these games are set up and just so padded. And, you know, some of the trial stuff, it's like taking the SATs. The logic in my head doesn't always work with what the test makers are looking for. What's going on in my head and what I can fit together doesn't always match up. And for that reason, sometimes I have to take it to a walkthrough to be able to get through some of it. Those are just my final thoughts on the game. You know, like we said, just to reiterate, don't play them back to back. Take some time in between. So now we're going to hear from someone who did actually play them back to back. So <laughs> take it away, Kelsey. Yeah, I, because the stories ended up being totally interconnected, um, I felt back-to-back, they just felt like one mega game rather than like two separate games. Um, but I, I would agree. I don't know if I'd say two years, but a, a buffer in between them is probably ideal, especially that second game is just so dense. There's a lot there, so it would, it would have been nice to at least play a different style of game in between them, at least, um, rather than just having another 20 hours of, of text. Um, but yeah, I thought they were very inventive with, with the murders at, at times in both games. Um, there were some really cool twists. And even when you understood who killed who, figuring out how and all the steps to get there was often just as interesting as solving an actual mystery, even if you knew the mystery. It, it was neat to, to just fill in all those pieces. And that, that's one of the parts I love the most about those uh, comic book climaxes that you do is is it would just really lay out like how everything happened from start to finish. And, and all your hard work up to that point was kind of shown off in this really stylistic way. But I, I don't have a whole lot to say that you guys didn't already say because I'm pretty much in agreement with you. I'd, I'd recommend both of these games. I plan to play the third one eventually after I've had my buffer time. Um, they're very bizarre. They're very neat. They look beautiful. Um, they're just crazy, crazy weird games. And, and if that sounds appealing to you, you should check them out. And, and like Sean said, I think Ace Attorney is a really good recommendation. If, if you like those and you're looking for something longer and even crazier and more adult, um, yeah, they, they kind of have the same feel where they're not too serious all the time and they've got a lot of Japanese quirks to them and they, break the fourth wall once in a while um yeah they were fun i enjoyed playing them awesome well thanks a lot for joining us crappy we appreciate you being on the show and uh definitely wish you the best of luck going forward with the collector cast can't wait to hear some more episodes of uh you guys chatting it up really nice to have you guys back so much it was really fun to come and talk with you guys again i love doing these all right, Sean, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's tell everyone what we're playing in September and October, and I'm going to let you go first since you are hosting September. Oh, man, in September we're playing it. It's so good, Rich. It's so much fun. I'm it's loving like, it, dude. Oh, man, I can't it. wait till next month's show. This, this was a great episode, but next episode I'm so hyped for it. It's Saints Row the Third. It's one of my favorite games of all time, man. I'm solidifying that thought in my mind. I first played it in 2012. I loved it back then. It made me a fan of the franchise. Replaying it this month with the crew here on the forums, I didn't know how it would hold up. I'm a big fan of sandbox games, so I've played many sandbox games since the first time I played Saints Row. And uh, 
I can't believe how good it still is. So it's kind of awesome to get you in on it. It's awesome to have Krabby playing all the other people who are playing right now. It's, it's really happening forum thread. So, uh, come and check it out. Yeah. I gotta say, man, uh, this year, especially the forum thread has been really hopping. I'm really, really enjoying the back and forth discussion. Some months in the past, we, might have some games where it'd be a bit of a lull, but uh, I, I got to say, man, this year the uh, forum interaction has been incredible and some really, really deep discussion about the games that we've been playing. So uh just want to say that. Keep it up, guys. Yeah, we got an all-star team now. You know, we got Krabby back on the forum and we got Mr. Stubbs. We got some people who are really like... You know, Dougley plays everyone. Dougley plays, yeah. yeah. Well, he's a lifer. You know, we got people who just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got dedicated people who are in our crew. It's it's really awesome. All right. Well, luckily enough for me, it looks like I'm going to be hosting in October, which is always a month where you always want to play something kind of spooky and crabby. I'm sure you were very pleased to see on our outline that we would be playing Bloodstained Curse of the Moon in October. I didn't know this was the October game until you guys sent me the outline for the show. And yeah, we let out a woohoo as soon as I saw that. (laughs) This is basically the prequel to Bloodstained. This was something that was developed. It's a kind of a 2D Castlevania-like game. I think it was a stretch goal, wasn't it, for the um, original game? I don't think it was a stretch goal. I think, and I could also be wrong on this, I think what happened was they contracted WayForward to help them finish the game. And WayForward was like, hey, let's do the side project. And it ended up coming out before the actual game. Yeah, it did come out before the actual game. Um, and then um, I think Limited Run actually did a run of games for it, yeah, which is where I purchased mine. Yeah. I've heard so many good things about this game. Very uh, retro feel to it, like the old Castlevania games, as I mentioned before. So it should be a really, really fun October. Uh, that's an abrupt cutoff, but that works. That works. <laughs> Well, no, I can, I can, I can put something did, else. Did in. you just play the uh, Monokuma theme? Oh, there you go. We've already used the Monokuma thing. We saw me. Are you ready to stop and clench? I think we can stop. I don't know, man. Hold on. Uh, should I, should I put something there at the end? I think it's a good ending. Okay. Join us in October, motherfucker. <laughs> How about that? I'm gonna put that on there. <laughs> Yep, there you have it. All right, stop and clench.
that's going to do it for another episode thank you as always for listening and a special thanks once again to crabmaster 2000 for joining us on the show in september we're throwing back to volition's wacky gangster sandbox romp 2011 saints row the third available on playstation 3 xbox 360 which is backwards compatible on the xbox one pc and the nintendo switch Be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com and we'll see you next time on the Playcast. Basketball. Bow. And speaking of niche stuff, man, I mean, I, I couldn't believe that uh, Shadows of Destiny 2 announcement. That was amazing. I was just trying to f*** with Sean. I was trying to yeah, I was like, like, what's he talking about? I'll cut that out. All right. <laughs> Sorry for the delay, gents. It's all good. I had to piss, walk my dog, made me some coffee, and threaten my kids. Same time. Apparently, they're being real asses to my wife, and she's running a bit of a fever. So, my guy sucks. I had to stay out two days last week. That's how I got to play so much Saints Row. I had to stay out with my uh, youngest. He had a fever for five days. Jeez, that's getting into real scary territory. Yep. And then my daughter, that's why she didn't go to the show last night because she had a fever. So, crazy. Knock on wood, man. I'm doing pretty good right now. Yeah, last time we recorded, um, you were real sick. You had to, like, emergency word for the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I remember that now. Uh, All right, guys. Well, are we ready to get into it? Yeah, sir. Sean, do you want to take it away with our question of the month? Sure. I got the answers queued up, so not a problem. Was I hosting this month? Yeah, you're the host, but if you want me to kick it off with the question... Uh, no, I'm I didn't do any do of the stats or anything, man. I didn't write down when these games came out or anything. Oh, uh, okay. I pull up the Wikipedias real quick. And then insert the wrong dates. <laughs> Hi, I'm Snuggly. Snuggly fabric softener keeps all your clothes soft and smelling fresh. Mm. Hi, Snuggly. What you got there? Oh, 
this? Oh, I use Dowie now. It works better than snuggling. Dowie? You backstabbing bitch! Softener. Don't with our bear.